Glover standing by right now is the one and the only Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. <laughs> After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she'd fallen asleep. Kind of shook her a little bit to, to wake her up, and she did not respond. I don't go down to my go to my grave, testifying or whatever, swearing that Davey was not on drugs. If he was on drugs, the way Brett says, how does I mean, how great does that make Davey? Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? You go ahead and chop me. Give me a big chop. I'll sell. I'll give you my whole chest and everything. And then I'll look at you like this, and then I'll punch you right in the mouth as hard as I can. <laughs> Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of the brand new year, uh, 2020. And uh, man, what uh, a year 2019 was uh, as we uh, look forward. We are going to look back this episode because uh, we just had so much great content this year. It was really uh, amazing to think about when we started. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where I look forward and go, man, uh, how are we going to get more guests? How are we going to get more interesting guests? And um, uh, we, we ended up uh, getting some of the, the best guests of all that we've ever had on primetime, even uh, from the early days when we were getting these big names from the WWF. Well, I think that as far as guests go, um, we had some uh, tremendous guests in 2019, and uh, what we're going to do in the, this episode is uh, include some Q&As that we did not have as a regular part of our podcast that went out uh, where you could get it from your regular platforms. Uh, these, uh, these conversations were restricted to just our, our uh, uh, Patreon members only, and this really is also a tribute to our Patreon members because uh, they have been so loyal in, uh, in their support. And also, they came up with uh, some of the, the greatest questions. What we had uh, as one of the perks for being a Patreon member is that uh, they could submit questions to our upcoming guests. And then there would be a portion of the podcast, usually near the end of that conversation, where I would uh, fire these questions to them and mention the names of the Patreon member who had come up with the, the question. And uh, what was so interesting about it is, you know, initially I thought, okay, this would be great that people actually get to ask their questions and get to hear what these uh, our guests have to say. But as I found that, that uh, as we went along, that uh, these questions were really great. And we got information uh, from our guests that I hadn't even thought about including or, you know, asking. And uh, in some cases, they may have even been the same question, but, uh, you know, worded in a different way. And also, further down in the conversation, that guest may have thought more about that initial question, but wasn't going to come back in and say, hey, you know, I just thought of one more thing about that question you asked me earlier. But when I asked them about the subject again, uh, we got some, uh, you know, great, great answers uh, from them. And uh, so a big tribute, a big uh, shout out to all of our Patreon members. And I wish we could have included all of them. But, you know, this podcast, you know, we would have been about, uh, you know, four hours long. Although we've had some pretty long ones, but not that long. But so what we did is we just uh, took a selection of uh, some of the Q&As that we thought were the best that we had in 2019, and we're going to include them in, in this podcast. Now, the first one uh, coming up here 
is uh, is slick. Uh, you know, Kenneth Johnson, as many uh, know that uh, that was it was that is his real name. But uh, slick, uh, you know, all I have to do is mention that one word, and if you were a WWF fan back in the '80s and '90s, you know who, exactly who I'm talking about. And he remains in history in the world of professional wrestling. I won't say just in the WWE's uh, history, but in the world of professional wrestling as one of the, the great managers uh, of all time. And uh, certainly a, a tremendously unique individual. Uh, he was very different than anybody else and uh, played a, a tremendous heel. He was just a great uh, heel manager and uh, managed many, many of the superstars in the WWF. But of course, remembered uh, very vividly for his involvement with Akeem. Uh, you know, you remember Akeem, uh, the Jive Soul Bros uh, uh, protege, <laughs> who, who uh, everybody knew as one man gang, but uh, had an awakening um, and uh, was uh, a big part of this, uh, this storyline that went on. And then, of course, he would team up with the big boss man and Slick would manage them as well as the Twin Towers. So uh, that was just, uh, you know, one of the one of the uh, uh, people that uh, one of the the teams that he had in his stable, but uh, he would also you know manage other uh, superstars. Uh, remember the Bolsheviks and uh, uh, quite a few others. And we it took uh, it took a long time. It took a long time to track down Slick. And we had a couple of conversations and had talked about uh, you know getting together. But finally, we made it happen, and uh, we had a, a great uh, conversation. You can still catch that in the. Uh, in our library, if you want to hear the whole thing. But uh, we had, uh, you know, as, as I mentioned, this Q&A uh, session that was part of the podcast that uh, was, was great because uh, there was a lot of things we talked about in that uh, 20, 30 minutes, I think, uh, is how, how long it is, um, where he revealed some, from th- some things that I never uh, knew and also elaborated on a few uh, other subjects. So here it is as we start uh, this very... Special edition of Primetime with Sean Mooney, uh, Q&As with some of the great guests we had in 2019, and we start with Slick. All right, uh, um, Ken, we've got a bunch of questions. I hope I can rattle off here from uh, our okay. listeners. When they, uh, All right. Heard that we're going to have you on, so I'm going to throw some at you. Okay. And the first one is from uh, Thomas Middow. And we, you've already answered this question, but I've got a kind of a follow-up to it. Uh, he says, what brought you to the WWF? How did it be, uh, come to be? And you kind of you covered that, but how did, what was that initial um, connection? Who called you? How did, when did you first learn that the WWF, uh, WWE now, wants you? Uh, when I, I made the decision to go with Butch Reed. Yeah. Uh-huh. And who who first called you? Was it you said you didn't know? You think it was Barnett? Uh, no, uh, uh, I actually talked to um, Vince himself. Really? Yes, he called. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, how'd you like to come work for us, pal? Yeah, he, we, well, what he said was, "We're interested in you. We'd like to schedule an interview, and uh, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you sell yourself in this interview, you got a job." Hmm. So yeah. they they flew awesome. me they flew me to um, Greenwich, Connecticut. Uh, uh, they flew me to New York and then they picked me up in a limo and carried me to Greenwich, uh, Connecticut. And uh, and yeah. and uh, you know I sold myself, I guess, because I got hired. <laughs> yeah, it worked. Whatever you did, I don't think mm-hmm. you had to, I don't think you had to work too hard for them to bring you on. All right, Eric Feedback says, "How did you feel about the brother love gimmick?" 
being a real reverend yourself? I didn't have any feelings for it. Uh, you know, you can't you can't take your personal feelings into your business uh, place. Um, it, it, regardless of how I felt, that was none of my business anyway. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. Well, Garrett Hernandez says, did you find the brother love gimmick offensive? Bruce Pritchard tells a story of Vince trying to convince you it wasn't making fun of religion. Is that any truth to that? I don't recall that at all. No, I don't. Vince didn't say, hey, we're not we're not doing that. We're not. This is just a over the top uh, televangelist. I'm not saying that that did not happen. I just have no no recollection of it. I don't recall Vince ever because let me explain something. And you now you worked for Vince just like I did. Vince wasn't a guy that went about explaining to people. I mean, you accept what he what he wants you to do, or you go. <laughs> that's, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> this so, is what we're doing. That just you makes, like, yeah, you got a problem with that? Yeah, make, yeah, makes no. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the thing is with that character, uh, obviously, and and, and uh, Bruce was. That's what he was playing. He was playing this uh, this pompous kind of televangelist character, way over the top. It had, there was no similarities to uh, between Slick and and Brother Love. I think exactly. that uh, what they're asking, what yeah, what they're asking is that did you did you have any reservations about the fact that they were uh, doing this uh, in somehow mocking religion? And I, I I can't imagine where anybody would really see that and not understand what it was. Exactly. <laughs> you know? And then the thing about it. As I said earlier, um, that's something I would never have even brought up to Vince because that would have been none of my business, you know. And and then you know we all you know what we 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 all portray characters. Uh, The name on my birth certificate is not Slick, (laughs) so I mean I try show people that you know. All right, Sean Daniel says, Slick, I, oh, well, he should say Ken, I am a fellow reverend and pastor of a Baptist church. Did you ever have opportunities to pray with fellow superstars in the locker room? Any special moment that you will never forget as a minister? I guess that's kind of a two-part question, but I guess the first part is, and you did kind of touch on it, but uh, I want to know if you had any opportunities to, play, to pray with fellow superstars. Yes, once uh, Butch Reed, one man gang and myself were on a private uh, plane that uh, Vince had uh, chartered because we were doing double shows and we had to come out of one show and get to another part of the country extremely fast. And some way that pilot took off under a really, really big jet and it was like, what's called a backdraft or something of that effect, to that effect. Yeah. And it really threw the plane, you know, jolted the plane and Butch Reed said, Give us a prayer. Give us a prayer. So, you know, we had <laughs> praying out of fear, you know. Yeah. That's right. A little reach out to God. Yeah, there, yeah. There, there special yeah, moments. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ask for a little something extra. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I guess it worked. It must have worked. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hassan Ijaz says, uh, hello, Mr. Reverend Slick. <laughs> I love mm-hmm. Jive Soul Bro. Did you have any input in writing that song and any memories of filming the video for that song, yes. Oh, that must that must have been oh, a blast. Yes, that was a blast, man. And I tell you, it, yeah. took, it, it, it took all day to get it done, and uh, oh, I yeah. just enjoyed. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed uh, 
mingling uh, with the crowd that gathered to watch it. And no, I did not have any input in, in writing the song, uh, with the, the lyrics of the song. And I've heard all kind of reports that I wrote the song and, and this and a no, they, they wrote it, I performed it. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, yeah. And do, and do you like the song? Did you like it when you first heard it? I did, yes. I, I, to this day, I like it, yeah. yes. Oh, mm-hmm. it was, yeah, it was great. It was, what a great, great song. All right, Michael Gonzalez says, would you accept a uh, Hall of Fame induction if offered to you? Of course, yes. By, yeah. Yes, by all means. Yep. Uh, that, that answers that question, Michael. And we did touch on the uh, the lawsuit, so we got that taken care of. Uh, Brian Florio says, how did it uh, uh, come to be that you would manage Kamala in 1993? Well, they see, they did that thing altogether wrong. They, they were trying to give Kim Ching an opportunity to right. to, to, to to make a living, but they should have brought in a formidable opponent. Uh, with the type of uh, persona that they had created for Kamala, nobody in in no fan would think that he'd have any problem whooping Kim Chi. So mm-hmm. they should have let Kim Chi be a manager and brought in uh, a heel and then Kamala, you know, be the baby face because whenever Kamala was a heel against another heel, the fans always made him the baby face anyway. So when he turned baby face, it was a good thing, and that's what they should have. That's what they should have done. So it just never, it just never made any sense to me. Yeah, could have could have been better. Mm-hmm. All right, Paul uh, Innocencio says, "What was a locker room like in the WWF when you were there?" Uh, and and that back then, you know, they had they had separate locker rooms. So, uh, yeah, what was that? Well, was it, that, it, uh, it, it was it was like? it was it was a pleasant atmosphere, unless you were on the card with the British Bulldogs. And if if you uh-huh. were on the card with the British Bulldogs, everybody had to be nervous about what kind of prank they were going to play mm-hmm. uh, with people's clothes or anything. Yeah, I didn't imagine you liked that much. Uh, what what they when they did that kind of stuff. Well, here's the thing: there were certain people they didn't bother, and I was one of them. Uh, because you know I'm a really really bad dude, and uh, and I'm really really tough. I can really really fight, <laughs> and so they didn't bother me. No, of course I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, out of respect for my <laughs> out of respect. For my what did you weigh then? Yeah, yeah I, was like, I, say, I, came I weighed 182 pounds. <laughs> Maybe, you know, yeah, I was 151 right. when I first came to New York. Uh, yeah, 151. Yeah. So, yeah, like, right, they're going to be afraid of me. But anyway, now that, you know, well, but let, I, I'll say this much. Now, you know, Butch Reed, he was a bad dude. Oh, yeah. And he, he, yeah, he and yeah. I just like brothers. So, you know, he, he put out the word. And then Junkyard Dog, you know, was he put out the word, you know, that's, yeah. Don't yeah, mess with, yeah. yeah. So, they, you know, I was one of the people they left alone. And I appreciated it, too. <laughs> He says on the follows us up with the funniest rib you've ever seen. And uh, were there any good ones? Because I know that, you know, Owen was always known. uh, Owen Hart was known for having, you know, good natured ribs most of the time. (laughs) But were there uh, any ribs that stand out that you just saw as good, good natured fun? 
No, I didn't like ribs. Period. Um, yeah, really? I, I just, was... I just didn't. I, I you know, cause there, I, I just really never saw any good nature. I saw things like uh, them doing something to um, a uh, you know uh, a retarded young man and shaving his eyebrows off and that kind of stuff. I, you know, I just didn't like all that. You know. Uh, Al Jack yeah. Jack, he was another uh, guy. Who they really did him bad? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a that's a dark story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yaden Yastro, uh, uh, Yaden Yastro says, uh, could you feel the ring move at all when Hulk Hogan suplexed the Big Boss Man off the top of the cage during the Saturday Night Main Event cage match? Yeah, you can feel, you can feel, you can feel the the ring. <laughs> yeah, that so, was, yeah, that was. was um, uh, you know what? I tell you what, I. To this day, I just don't see how they didn't get hurt, but they they pulled it off. You know? yeah. It says, uh, how long before that did you know that you and Zeus were going to be involved in that match? Oh, probably. What would you say, Sean? A week or two? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> probably. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's how it worked back. Especially Saturday night's main event. They came up with that <laughs> stuff during the week. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I don't know. Do you ever spend? Do you ever spend any time with Tiny Lister? Do you remember ne- Zeus? No, never did. I, you know, the little time we had yeah. there at the arena, that was that was my yeah. that was the extent of it. my interacting with him. Yeah. All right, uh, Aiden O'Connell, our friend from uh, from Dublin. Hey, Slick, who was your easiest wrestler to manage? One man game. It's yeah. I think you made that pretty clear because it's, oh, it's, it's, uh, it's a uh, legendary uh, uh, list. Which means don't get mad at me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you spent a lot of time with George. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Also, he says, well, because he, he mentions all of the guys that you managed, Haku, Akeem, Big Boss Man, the Iron Sheik, Rick Martel, Kamal. He says, I also think Haku could have been uh, an even bigger name than he was. Did anything hold him back? from the gold or headlining mania. And we all know the reputation of, of Meng, of, of Haku, and, and a tremendous performer in the ring. What, what do you think, or do you have thoughts on, you know, why he was never uh, really over, really big? No, I don't. Um, yeah. um, no, I don't. I, 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 I just yeah. don't. Yeah, and not to but, say, I mean, he reached some incredible heights there and had some great, you know, tag teams and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that would, really, and just a freaking legend mm-hmm. in the business. Now, uh, now, now says, let, is there let me wrestler? say this before we get yeah. off of Haku. Okay. You do know yeah. that the thing about how tough he is, that's not just height. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, no kid. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> it's to be understood. That's legit. That Haku, the toughest man to ever be in the in the business. There's nobody yeah. that could and beat was, him in a fight. And there was a few others. There was, and you think he was the it? I mean, uh, Harley Race had one hell of a reputation. Uh, yeah, but Harley, Harley, Harley. I don't know. Harley, you know, Harley had my back one time when a when a group of fans tried to jump me. And so I know how tough Harley is. Everybody knows how tough Harley is. But I just don't yeah. see Harley being able to do anything with Haku. I, I just don't. I don't. Yeah. I just don't see it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and you know I I saw him a, a, not a, uh, recently, and he st- he still looks like he could. There's not anybody on the planet that could take him. He still oh, I mean, there was he man, kind of promo. He was mad at somebody, and my God, man, you, you could you know he was the nicest guy in the world. I mean, when you talk to him, and he was just but 
you see a, a few times I saw that anger, uh, and man, you don't want to be in front of that. There's no no question. Uh, let's see. Is there is there a wrestler? Is there a wrestler in any era that you would have liked to have managed? Is there anybody you missed, didn't get a chance to, you would have liked to have worked with? or maybe Rick Flair. Uh, and I did, I really? did get to manage Rick Flair one night in Kansas City. But, but I would have loved to have managed Rick Flair. Uh, man, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I mean, there are several great, great guys. Because Harley Race, when, when, I mean, when it comes to the business, every aspect of the yeah. business, Harley Race was the simplest of the third. But, uh, man, that Rick Flair, golly, to me, he's just, he's, just, he's everything. Uh, really, I mean, I'm serious about that. I, I just, man, <laughs> I do. I, I, what well, I, it's I my know. opinion, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Ethan Fisher wants to know any untold stories from a house show that was memorable for you. Um, you know, those shows were, were, were ones that were very different from TV tapings. You didn't have uh, management around. You weren't worrying about cameras. Uh, what do you remember from those house shows? Anything that really stands out? WWE house shows. Yeah. WWF, I guess we were back well, then. Well, yeah, yeah, back then, then. Yeah. No, no, I don't, I mean, I think one about the same as, as another. You know, because I've worked on yeah. some houses uh, when uh, when I was working in Kansas City. There were times we would fill up uh, uh, Memorial Hall in Kansas City. You know, we brought Flurry in about uh, big big names of that you know of that era in. Uh, so so I just think you know one show about the same as the other one. Uh, that's what I would think. All right, and we finish up here with the question with Sean Berkey. He says, was there anyone you did not like managing or anyone you declined to manage that you said, no, I'm not, I, I'm not interested? Not that you would have had a choice. Well, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> I think sometimes sometime when the fans ask these questions, they ask them from yeah. the perspective of thinking that this was a, a, a legitimate uh, situation. A democracy? Yeah, yes, right, yeah, yeah, thank you. Very, very well put. <laughs> and uh, this was not. Uh, yeah. We were employees of Vince McMahon, and uh, you either mm-hmm. did what he asked you to do, or you, you know, you'd be out the door. And uh, yeah, exactly. And so I didn't have anybody that I disliked managing uh, yeah. at all. No. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, those are some awesome answers. Um, I would be remiss. I wanted to circle back here because I wanted to ask you more about your father and his influence on you uh, in your life. Uh, obviously, uh, not just for professional wrestling, but uh, just having him as a dad. Well, my father was an honorable man, and he was a great person, a great soul in terms of his uh, levity. He he he. he I tell you what, you've been around this business a long time, son. You ever heard anybody say anything bad about Rufus Jones? Nope, never. That, nope. That's the kind of person he was. And but but I yeah. But I mean, how about as a as a father? I mean, was uh, were you able to? Because like we said, you know, like we said, this business is just brutal on uh, relationships with with your family. <laughs> let, let me put it to you like this: you you never known me to be arrested. During my time in WWE, 
You never mm-hmm. seen you never you've never seen me use profanity or to talk disrespectful to anyone. You can you can yeah. attest to that yourself, right? Uh, yeah, you, absolutely. You've never you, yeah. you've never been around any of the boys who had negative things to say about me. That I was two faced. I was a, a liar. I was dishonest, deceitful. So I, I'm saying all of that to say this: this is a result of the upbringing of my father. And I remember mm-hmm. the day when he took me to the airport to come to the to come up to go up to New York. And he said, <laughs> he said, Kenny, if you go up there and get with any of those guys that do those, you know, have those vices, he says, I'm going to get in that baseball bat and I'm going to come up there and I'm going to beat the, you know, to the magic of the out of you. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's the kind of father I had. <laughs> Yeah, you never you never forgot that message, but uh, I'm sure you made him very proud. All right, I, I hope you enjoyed that uh, Q&A that we had with the Doctor of Style Slick. Uh, really candid uh, guy, man. He just, uh, you know, laid it out there, tells it like it is. There's no question about that. And uh, an incredible career he had with the WWF. It's unfortunate that there's, you know, a situation still where uh, he hasn't uh, really reconnected uh, with the WWE. He's been back a couple of times, but uh, I would really like to see him uh, honored. Uh, but I uh, really enjoyed uh, talking with Slick uh, in the, and, and so many great questions from our, our Patreon members. But, folks, it just gets better and better here on uh, Primetime with Sean Mooney in this very special episode we're doing uh, as this drops on the first day of 2020, uh, Wednesday, January 1st. And, uh, you know, as I, I said before going into this, just so many great conversations during the year, so many great guests. And it was really tough to decide uh, which ones to include here. And uh, this episode certainly could have been a lot longer. But I think that we've got some some uh, uh, great uh, people on this podcast that uh, you're going to hear, you know, content that uh, only our Patreon members had heard before. But we wanted to uh, give our listeners a chance to hear uh, some of these uh, these other conversations, the extended conversations we had that were direct questions from our Patreon members. And we, we just really, we got some uh, great answers as we did in uh, this uh, next person coming up here. Um, you know, there are, uh, of course, uh, referees been a big part of the world of professional wrestling forever. And uh, there were certainly times, uh, even in the early days, when uh, these uh, these referees, the third men in the ring, would get involved in matches. But no one really, uh, or I should say, uh, I should say, two individuals, <laughs> because they happened to be twins, uh, the Hebner brothers, and uh, they were really when uh, they became as big as the superstars during a, a period of time, and uh, were well known uh, to this day as uh, uh, two of the best referees in the history of professional wrestling and certainly were a big part of the WWF slash WWE. But man, a lot went on during uh, both of their careers. And we had the chance to speak with Earl Hebner. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, you hear his name. And of course, uh, many, many things come to mind. He was involved in uh, uh, some of the greatest matches ever to take place in the WWF, WWE, but also some controversy surrounded him. And, of course, uh, the Montreal screw job was uh, certainly something that to this day follows him. But, uh, you know, he was involved in a lot of other things. And if you heard the podcast, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't uh, taken time to listen to it, really, you should. 
because uh, he really has a tremendous perspective on what was going on during that uh, period of time that he was with the WWF, WWE, because he was there when, uh, when they were known as both, uh, <laughs> from the early days and, and beyond. But uh, this is a great Q&A that uh, we had with him uh, during the podcast uh, that uh, I'm really happy that we are uh, able to share with you now. So take a listen to the Q&A we had with uh, one of the greatest referees in the history of professional wrestling, Earl Hebner. Well, uh, Earl, I've kept you up, but I've got some questions from our listeners that they sent to us, and I'm hoping that uh, you can take some of them, will you? Uh, yeah, go ahead. All right. Uh, first up is Brian Florio says, what was the what was your favorite match that you officiated? Boy, that's a tough one because you did so many. <laughs> well, <laughs> tell him I've been doing this 40 years, so it's hard for me to remember everything. But, uh, uh, gosh, I, uh, I've had so many great matches. And all honestly, it it I, I I really can't pick one. You know what I mean? Well, the Andre Hulk at the Twin. Uh, well, I'll I'll him. go with that. Yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah, that's I'll go with the Andre and Hulk deal. Yeah, yeah. I'll go with that. All right, David Pierce. Uh, David Pierce asks, uh, out of all the wrestlers, who did you hate taking a bump from? I think you mentioned the Warrior. Uh, if you knew <laughs> you would be knocked out, uh, with quotes during a match, or did they all take care of you? Was there someone else who was? You mentioned Davy. Any others? Davy was. Davy was excited. I think when he because he would never hurt me. But the Ultimate yeah. Warrior was yeah. the worst one. Yeah. Were there and others? Everybody else was. Uh, no, not really. Uh, uh, well, Vader hit me one time, but I don't think he really realized. He's such a big man like Andre. I don't think he really meant to do that that bad. But he's just a big man. But that's yeah. about it. Majority of the guys always took care of me because they needed me. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think we know your impression right now, but Brendan Matthews says, what was your first impression of Vince McMahon? My first impression? I thought he was a great guy. Mm-hmm. Well, and you got to give him credit, too, I mean, over the years and what he did for the business. There's no question about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, no, 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 no. I understand what you're saying there. No, he he made the business what it is today. I mean, he took it from from uh, like uh, spot shows to worldwide, and mm-hmm. made everybody made a lot of people. Well, made everybody a lot of money involved in the business. I, I'll give him yeah. credit for that. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is great, and I wish we would have talked a little more about Dave. But here's our chance. Uh, Brandon says, "Did you ever consider your twin brother competition while working for the WWE?" <laughs> No. <laughs> no. There what about no that relationship, though? There. You guys always been close, you know, since... Always. Yeah. Always. It was... I mean, uh... I mean, when we... After the uh, Hogan deal, he refereed one uh, on on one show, and I refereed on the other, and then they made him an agent. But, no, no, we were always buddy-buddies. I mean, we love each other. There was no competition whatsoever toward him or me. Yeah. All right. Fraser Kemp says, what was your favorite memory from working in the NWA slash Crockett territory? And who did you enjoy working with in the ring? Uh, well, truthfully, I love Flair. I love Wahoo. I loved, uh, like Jack Mulligan. Mm. Uh, and, but one of the biggest time, one of, one of, 
it's just driving from Richmond to Charlotte and having a good time that, and coming back, going to Greensboro, uh, whatever those little towns we ran, and then going into uh, Bennigan's when they were in business with Wahoo stuffing a guy in the ice machine. That was, that was a thrill in Charlotte. He was giving Wahoo a hard time, and, and Wahoo, he ran from Wahoo. He ran in the kitchen, and Wahoo grabbed him and stuffed him in the ice machine. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You make him stay in there? <laughs> no, no, he got him out, but he just—it was a, just a smart out of a guy, person, or kid, or whatever it may be, and and he, yeah. Wahoo just grabbed him and and put him in the ice machine. Yeah. All right, Chris Ivarone uh, says, "Were the fans hounding yourself and Dave after the twin referee main event in 1988? I mean, in the arenas and in your personal lives, due to the overwhelming magnitude of that match." Uh, yeah, you know, how much heat did you guys or you get anyway from uh, after that? But uh, uh, you weren't around for eight weeks. Did it cool down or did it just pick right up when you got back? No, it it it, it, it was heat still. But uh, I got a little. Well, I got some heat, but uh, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't as bad as the Bret Hart deal, believe me, by no means. But it's just a young generation. People loved Hogan and and young kids and all this. Uh, little heat from them, but uh, it wasn't nowhere close to being the Bert Hart deal. But what was it when you, uh, you know, it was Saturday night's main event when that uh, event happened with with Andre and Hulk and the the whole twin, as we say. Uh, Your life had to change overnight because that was a gigantic stage. And uh, what, you know, did it, people at back home recognizing you? And uh, I mean, what was that that whole uh, situation like for you? It was, it was, uh, well, it, do I still have a friend or do I not have a friend? Even my <laughs> friends that know me, uh, uh, didn't like it. Some of them, you know what I mean? You were certainly I mean, famous go, I, Right. But, uh, it was, a, it, it was a shot to the world, mm-hmm. you know, just wasn't expecting that nobody, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And then, uh, and then I come back and. Oh, you're bad, or you you're evil, evil. You're evil. You're the evil yeah. twin. But but it it was cool, and and all honesty, I loved it. Yeah, you loved being a heel. I had a good. I had a. I oh, and I still am. Yeah. But I, I had a good time with it. <laughs> I love being a heel. Yeah. All right, Matt Richards says. Besides the Montreal screw job, what what the was there ever a match that you refereed that made you nervous or uneasy? Were there any others that you just remember before? I don't know if it was a WrestleMania match or something that really stands out. Uh, I can say this. I can't exactly name any match, but in WrestleMania was always a nervous match for me, regardless of who it was or when it was, because it's pressure. You got, what, 30, 40,000 people, however it may be, and if I walked at that today, I'd have goosebumps. No matter how long I've been in the business, when you walk out there uh, in that crowd, it's a uh, it, it's a different feeling. Believe me. Yeah, and I, okay. like I said, I I get no I, I, all the experience that I have and and all the things I've done. When you walk out of WrestleMania, buddy, it's pressure. It's goosebumps. Yeah. Oh, and, and just those those uh, those events were just huge. Was there one WrestleMania 
though, that you remember just being like, wow, this is incredible because of the crowd and what was going on? Uh, I think Toronto, when we had, if I uh, may be off some, but I think we had 37,000 people in Toronto for Hawk and uh, Warrior. I think there was more than and that. Then, was it okay? Well, I'm just, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, oh, and then San Antonio, when Sean came down on the cable with that WrestleMania, uh, with I think that's where he worked, uh, Bret Hart Arn Man match. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. No, uh, that was kind of nervous, yeah. you know. Uh, well, it, it seems like you were match, always but, like that, though. I mean, and that's probably a good thing, uh, that. You always have that a uh, little bit of that nervous energy. It's not like from "Can I do this job?" It's just that you you want to get it right. Right. Well, you uh, you know what? You hit the nail on the head. You're sitting there. I'm in the ring and I'm watching all this stuff happening. And I'm going, okay. I got rid of this. I got this and this and this. I'm thinking about what I have to do, yeah. and so that I don't screw up. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's pressure. It's pressure. Well, no kidding. You're as much a part of that. If it went, if you don't do your part right, the whole thing doesn't work. So yeah. right, right, uh, right. Aiden uh, Yastro said, "Did the TNA Orlando Kurt Angle screw job feel unnecessary and a waste of time?" <laughs> uh, I would think so. <laughs> okay, we'll leave it at that. And do you think TNA failed nationally by trying to be a WWE clone? Yes. Yeah, really? Definitely. That was ultimately, you think, what did them in? Yep. If yeah. they'd have stayed like like uh, Crockett had in NWA, they'd have been fired. Because they were making money at Orlando mm. Universal. They yeah. were making money. Uh, you had other people coming in there that wanted to... had stupid ideas and expenses and that's what put them under. I mean, yeah. when Jeff was there, they were making money. And even when Jeff left, uh, Dixie still was making money. It was her, it was her management that killed her. Yeah. Right, Michael Gonzalez. This is the last question, Earl, uh, in an industry where it's never say never. Do you ever see yourself back in the WWE in some way? And also would you accept an induction into the hall of fame? You touched on this uh, before uh, and said no, but is there anything that Vince could do to to fix it? No, really. No, nope. I said I, when I left uh, TNA, I thought it was over with. And I said I'm out, never. But in this yeah. business, never say never. But honestly, Hall of Fame for WWF, WWE, never, never. Promise yeah. you. I really, really enjoyed my uh, conversation with Earl and, uh, of course, that part uh, there with the, the Q&A that you guys got to hear uh, finally and uh, that we we're able to share with everybody. But uh, we got a big response from a lot of our Patreon members from from the, that Q&A and uh, uh, really, uh, really, you know, revealed some, some things, uh, you know, behind the scenes that I hadn't thought about asking. And uh, it's unfortunate that, you know, uh, things happen the way they did. And, uh, you know, you talk about the uh, the Montreal School, Montreal School screw job, which is, you know, remains in history, uh, you know, a, a dark chapter in, in the world of professional wrestling, but uh, certainly a big, a big part of it. And um, 
it's interesting uh, through the years how this has all played out. That uh, it's it's nice to know that Brett and uh, Earl are uh, you know are, are friends again. Um, and and really, you think back, uh, what what other choice did the man have? It was really came down to either he uh, was going to protect Brett and uh, and defy orders from the people that uh, employed him. Or uh, not have a job, and uh, you know there was it was a no win situation for him. But uh, really, uh, just a, a great guy, and and says you know he he doesn't need the WWE Hall of Fame. Although I think that both uh, he he and, and Dave belong in there, and so maybe maybe one day uh, that uh, that will that will change. But uh, uh, really, really uh, enjoyed that conversation with Earl. I hope you enjoyed the the Q and A there. So anyway, we've got uh, a lot more uh, coming up here. And uh, this, you know, uh, uh, you talk about somebody who had seen it all in in the world of professional wrestling, uh, known as, uh, you know, uh, a guy that could shoot. I mean, just one of the toughest guys out there, uh, him and his brother, uh, the Briscoe brothers. And uh, man, uh, he had some, <laughs> I mean, he's got a great sense of humor, uh, obviously, just a, a, a tremendous... Uh, sense of view, but we had a chance to have uh, Jerry Briscoe on, and uh, you know he's another guy that uh, I had wanted to get on. I'd, I'd seen him a few times at some events, and had asked him, and he's like, "Sure, but you know, it's just you know being able to line everything up." And we finally got him on, and uh, man, boy, just so many great stories that he told, and he has such a, a great sense of humor. And it's it's uh, you know you, you think about a lot of these guys too. Not only they won just uh, you know just incredibly tough human beings, but uh, you know just love the business and they enjoyed it every step of the way and he does to this day. So uh, take a listen to this Q and A that we had with Gerald Briscoe. All right, I want to get to these questions uh, real quick that uh, some of our listeners sent in and uh well Sean Daniels he's at, he was asking about that uh, that run you had with with Pat and uh that craziness so I think we got that covered but uh Matt Richard says one of my favorite shows of all time is Starcade 83 what are your thoughts on defending the tag team titles that night and how was the atmosphere that evening uh in the back about the success of that show that uh, you're going to have to help me there <laughs> Uh, tag, what what tag time? I, 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 I'm old, so you help help me. Yeah, well, I'm, <laughs> I, I, mind my mind. I'm just reading well, the question I, I, here. I just, defending the tag team Starcade, titles, right? Starcade, yeah, Starcade oh, '83. That, 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 oh, that was that was Steamboat and Youngblood. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, we've uh, we, that. we've covered that. We've covered yeah. that. I I was thrilled to death of it. Uh, I it was the you know it was a huge show and it was you know it was similar to at that time to WrestleMania, you know. Really? It was the WrestleMania at that time. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean, it, that atmosphere, I mean, you compare it, you, it was that that big or at least close? Yeah, it was. It wasn't a week long, but uh, yeah. Sean, I, I remember WrestleMania 1 in New York City. Yeah. Talent flew into to the Garden that day and actually flew out that night after the matches. So that's how that's WrestleMania show. 1 was. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's one day you come in. Yeah. Like yeah. a regular show, only it was, yeah. you know, it was, it was, it was pay-per-view at that time, closed circuit, you know. But, uh, you know, guys, Hamlet, you come in the day of the show, you do your mass, and you get back out that night, you know, if you can, yeah. you know. So 
it wasn't no big deal. And then, you know, to see it progress, I had now it's turned into a week long affair, almost a 10 day affair now. And some of the other pay-per-views have too, you know, there at the time we were running like 18 pay-per-views a year, man, we were working our butts off. But the, yeah. the, uh, the attitude backstage at Starkey getting back to the young man's question was everybody was thrilled to death. I mean, the governor had closed the roads down. We had, you know, we couldn't, couldn't, uh, Getting more, mean more people in the building, and they turned away more people than than just about what was in the building, and so it was a special night. And then also, Jack and I realized it was probably our last big big event, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, you'd had it was for him. Yeah, you'd had a lot of matches at that point with uh, with Young Blood and Steamboat. Was this uh, one of the best? Do you think one of those of the I I I wouldn't say it was one of the best, but I'd say it was it was pretty damn good. Uh, uh, we had Angelo Masha, a special referee, and anytime you have a special referee, it kind of takes away from the story that the four guys are trying to tell. We but we it, it was a it was a good match. I wouldn't I wouldn't give it a five star in any way, shape, or form, but I would I would rate it as, as a as a you know main event match any day of the week, but. Uh, We'd had better matches and we'd had worse matches, but I, I put I, it was near the top, but I wouldn't say it was the greatest match we'd we'd had with those two, but it wasn't from lack of effort from any one of the four guys in the ring, so five guys, Captain Moscow. Yeah, and also as an event, and this is pre WrestleMania, uh, this was this was a huge huge uh, wrestling event, so those were those are fondly remembered by a lot of people. Yeah, it was, and it, like I said, it was one of the first really big events. Thanksgiving yeah. evening in in North Carolina was always the big thing. And my first sellout with Dory Funk Jr. My first hour Broadway match with Dory Funk was on Thanksgiving in in uh, Greensboro. Also, wasn't it sold out? Sold out crowd too. You know, so uh, I, I like to, I like to tell uh, tell people you know, well you know your career was uh, short. I said, let me tell you something. Nineteen nineteen. Uh, 70, I worked with Dory Funk Jr. in Greensboro, North Carolina, sold the place out, 15,000, 12, 15,000 people, whatever the building held. Then in 1983, I, I sold out, my brother and I sold out the building with uh, uh, Ricky Seaboat and Jay, Jay Youngblood 11 years later. So I'd say that was a pretty damn good run, not just a, a lucky shot. Yeah. <laughs> All right, this is from Michael Gonzalez. Any stories about that chair shot you gave Stone Cold at the 98 Survivor Series? <laughs> the teak heard round the world, as Shane McMahon puts it. <laughs> yeah, here, here, here's my thought on this. And uh, uh, Was you there then? No, you, I was left. You with in, uh, I was gone. You, when, when did you leave? I left in 93. 93. Okay, well, Stone Cold, the teak heard round the world, as, I as Shane all. puts it. Yeah. Here's the deal. Uh, if you'll flash back to that time, Stone Cold had just returned from a uh, from a, a neck injury, right? I mean, yeah. he, he was laid out. It was his first big shot back, you know. Right. It was supposed to be Big Boss Man being there to give him the chair shot to begin with. But uh, from Gorilla to uh, to ringside, we lost Big Boss Man. How do you lose a six foot five, three hundred forty pound uh, <laughs> guy dressed like a like a sheriff? You know. Yeah, right. it's, 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 yeah. it's, it's insane to me. I get Bruce Pritchard hell about it all the time because he was running gorilla. I said, it wouldn't happen if I'd had the gorilla, you know, but <laughs> you're running gorilla. We lost our main guy. So it came time for the spot to come up. We're looking around for, uh, for big boss man to hit the ring and they'll sell stone cold. 
And so there's no big boss, man. So I look at Vince. I said, you going to do it? And he said, no, you do it. So I thought, okay, hell, I'll do it. So I rolled in. Austin was laying on the stomach at the time. I grabbed a chair and I had a clear shot and I could lay the chair in on, on his back as hard as I wanted to. I had no, yeah. uh, no trouble doing that. But all of a sudden, Slaughter, when he saw me jump in the ring, for some reason, he rode in the ring and picked Stone Cold up and put his neck right in front of me. Now, here's our franchise just coming back and just had neck surgery. And I'm with a chair, and I got two shorts. I can really hit him hard and take a chance of hurting him again and putting him back in the hospital, or I could do a working chair shot. Yeah. So I chose to do the working chair shot to save my ass from getting yeah, fired. in the business. <laughs> and instead of hitting the hell out of him and putting him back in the hospital. So what would have you done? You know, yeah, ex- you done exactly. Me? And but I'm sure that, that Shane uh, McMahon gives me so much grief about that. I can't believe it. You know, I, I still can't tell about it, but you know, you look at it in a business perspective, either knock, yeah. knock your champion out, knock your franchise out, put him out for another six months or, or dink him. And, uh, and let him let uh, let Kevin Dunn do his magic in the truck, but it was so bad he couldn't even do any magic in the truck. <laughs> well, I'm sure it Steve sucked, and I know it, it sucked, but it was sucked <laughs> on a, for a reason, and that's my reason. And I'm sticking by it. Uh, did Steve thank you? <laughs> oh, he gave me hell about it, and I, every shot I took from Steve, I think I got a concussion, double concussion from every damn chair shot I ever took from Steve uh, Stone Cold after that, and he gave me a lot of them. Oh boy. All right, uh, David Pierce, what was the best time of your career? Did you enjoy being a wrestler or being on-screen uh, character with Pat and Vince, which, in a sense, you still were? What, 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 but what stands out the most when you look back, Jerry? Uh, well, there, there's phases and stages of my career. Yeah. My wrestling career, the thing that stands out was was uh, was was our feud with, with two people, with, with the Funk Brothers, with Steamboat and Youngblood. Yeah. With the Funk Brothers was the first one. It it it, it it's the one that that, that kind of set the uh, set the alarm off to watch out for the four of us, you know, because uh, we just had so much chemistry as I covered before. So that that's 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 one of my my favorite memories. But uh, turning full scale hill in a territory where I'd been such a big baby face, such a big baby face drawn, turning hill and being so successful. And getting compliments from my peers about my promos and my my healing. I mean, that that's probably number two. But the most fun I ever had in my life, I can't deny it, was being a stooge. I had so much fun doing that, and it was at that at that time, Sean. I was I was assistant coach. I, you know, we were talking about wearing different. I was assistant wrestling coach because both of my boys were amateur wrestlers here in Florida. Yeah. And the new school had just started down the road from where I lived, so I wanted to get involved. And my wife's a school teacher, so I wanted to get involved with 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 the wrestling team. So it's a brand new school. My kid was starting, so I went down and volunteered for fifteen years as, as a volunteer wrestling coach. So. But during that time, I was also doing a stooge deal. So we'd walk into these arenas, and my kids, our team would have a ball with it because the other kids, of course, would recognize me, and they'd just start. And, and our, my guys would gather around me. You can't get to them, you know. <laughs> He's our guy, you know. So they, they had a good – the team had a good time with it, too, uh, protecting me and keeping keeping all the, all the fans away from me so I could do my job of coaching them, you know, so – but they had, they, I think they enjoyed it as much as I did until I had to wear that damn dress. And then I caught so much. <laughs> that was too much. Yeah. And my kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Hey, uh, words, you know? also, also a good one here. Is, uh, and funny this is, story about that. I'm sitting there in the dressing room, and, and uh, Triple H, Paul Levesque, is sitting right next to me. And I'm getting dressed in my dress. I'm get, really getting dressed this time. <laughs> so I'm, I'm putting all that stuff on, and women have a lot of stuff to put on. So I, I turned over to Triple H. I said, Hunter, I'm going to ask you to do something I never dreamt. I never thought I'd ask a man to do in my life. And he said, what's that? I said, would you help me fasten my bra? <laughs> <laughs> so and then zip you up? Fasten my bra before I went out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but you great. never dream that you're going to ask a man to help it, you no, fasten your never. bra. No, never. You help me with my bra. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. All right, here's blasphemy. Love this you. is blasphemy from Carl Hayes. He says, is it true JBL took him down from behind once while watching a musical act practiced before a raw? True, true. A pay-per-view. You know how we used to have celebrities or bands? We had Sawyer oh, yeah. Brown, you know, that, that country, yeah. uh, great country, country yep. band. We're in Greensboro, North Carolina, the Greensboro again. And so JBL, uh, you know, we would mess with each other all the time. We, he just helped me with a fundraiser up in New York and uh, where they raised $1.4 million for Beat the Streets New York, uh, a great, great organization for youth wrestling in, in, in the state of New York. And uh, JBL, as, as you know, is, is so generous his time with when it comes to helping kids out. But he helped me out, and uh, uh, we, we were just we, we we give each other grief all the time. And the guys up there, we you guys like this all the time. Don said I've been like this for nearly twenty years. He said he won't let me alone, and so he and I are always picking on each other. You know, yeah. they call him a bully, and he called me the bully. You know, but we we've had matches all over the world, and. So we're back to Greensboro now. Sawyer Brown's out there rehearsing, uh, and all the guys that would listen to him, because Sawyer Brown's a great band. And, you know, we're basically getting a little private concert before the event from Sawyer Brown. So I'm working. So I'm walking out. I'm getting ready to take care of one of my matches. So as you know, those big barricades that they have, you know, going to the ring, and they weigh about 400 pounds. You know, you can't move them. So I'm walking out to the ring. I'm not paying any attention. I'm listening to Sawyer Brown in my mind, thinking about my match, going to – you know how I'm going to set up the match that I'm in charge of, going out to the ring to meet meet the talent. All of a sudden, up behind me comes this. I get tackled like it's, it's a damn Green Bay Packers tackling the Dallas Cowboys, and I go down. And I I run my head into that damn barricade. My JBL's 320 pounds at the time. He's on top of me, laughing, poking me in the head, and poking my eyes and everything, laughing at me. I said, "Okay, JBL, you got me. Said, what are you gonna do when I get it? When we get it, when you have to get, let me. Yeah, up. <laughs> you have to let go of me. He said, "I'm gonna run like hell." So he <laughs> let go and he took off running like hell. I chased him a couple of feet, and he's a fast, big old 300 pound Texan. And so I did catch her. I denied work to do. So I said, "Okay." So I, I I go to the ring. I do my deal. But that's his claim to fame. Uh, the, 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 the back, uh, the, the, the next day story is even better though. I'm where we're in, uh, Richmond, Virginia, and we're, we're in a meeting and I got called JBL in the private office. Uh, at that time I was, I was handling everything. So I called JBL and I said, JBL, you keep treating me like that. You can't embarrass me like that. You know, I'm a, I'm in a position of authority and see, uh, got talent sees me screwing around like that. And, and, and you know, I'm a wrestling college and you come up, take my ass down from the back shove me in that barricade. It's not good for me. You can't do that to me, you know, and I'm watching JBL and he's apologizing. He thinks I'm serious and he's rocking back and forth on one of those steel chairs. At the time I'm talking to him, he's telling this story the other night. He said, I, I'm such a dumb SOB. I should have known what he's doing. 
He said, well, Briscoe's chewing me off. I see him taking his Rolex off, see him taking his glasses, putting them all on the table. And I'm not thinking anything about it. I'm just taking my ass chewing. And all of a sudden, I see him lean back. I said, go. And I went. And I knocked him right on his ass and got him in a damn sugar hole and was smothering him. And I had him tapping out in 30 seconds, you know. And by that time, I ever heard, heard the commotion come running in there and seeing JBL tapping out. That's what he's pissed off about because we were alone. But when I took it down, made all this noise, knocked over all that equipment, and there was a cameraman in there, and we got it all on film and everything. <laughs> but uh, oh, yeah, JBL and I have a great time. And Shane and McMahon and I used to do the same thing. You know, we used to take each other down every week at a wrestling, just playing. Just, you know how the tested is with those TVs. You got to have a little relief, and that—that that was our relief being physical with each other backstage. Well, well, Jerry. Jerry, when it all comes down to it, you're just kids who never grew up. I mean, come on, let's admit it here. I mean, exactly. Right? Yeah, that's <laughs> the thing. You were blessed in being able to be kids your whole lives and and uh, make a good living at it. Uh, let's see. We've I hope got, I never uh, do grow up. Uh, nah, don't. Never, never. Uh, Brandon says, uh, Mr. Briscoe, uh, who was your favorite tag team to go up against? I think you mentioned well, Brandon, him. thank you for calling me Mr. Briscoe. My favorite <laughs> tag team, I said, I, I think I just mentioned them, was, was the Funk Brothers and uh, and uh, Steamboat and Youngblood. And I'm not going to rank them because they're, they're both up there in my memory banks and they both mean a lot to my career. I talked to Marty Funk, Doy's wife, the other day, and uh, I just went out to uh, Cauliflower Alley Club, which is a great organization that helps uh, wrestlers in need uh, that, that, that don't have anything that are medically and then problems or losing their house for some reason or illness or something. And the cauliflower out club, uh, 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 as a, uh, uh, gives these, uh, guys help, uh, to get them out of trouble. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, I was just there and, uh, and God, what, where was I going with this story? Uh, well, uh, I tell you, oh, that's Dory a big, Funk, Dory Funk, yeah. Dory Funk Jr. was receiving Luthes award and Dory, mm-hmm had a reaction to some food that he ate and his, his face was all swelled up and everything and his eyes were swelled up and, and all this and uh and he you know, was just a reaction from some food but he i when he got home he called him and his wife said uh, gory wants to thank you for making him look good because i i just i just had some you know i live in florida and I, i'm a son guy and i had some melanoma that had cancer and so i had to take like 20 uh treatments of uh, radiation uh, this past month so i had a big band-aid on my nose and i was all bandaged up like i'd been in a, in a fight with uh with abdullah the butcher or something and uh dory dory said tell tell brisha uh, uh thank you for making me look good and i said uh, marty you tell dory that i made a career out of making dory fuck you never look good so <laughs> what, right. uh, what, well, it was uh, nothing different both, i could hear them both laughing for five minutes <laughs> oh that's great uh, you, you mentioned Vince, and Vince, he is. I mean, a lot of people don't see that side of him, but he uh, likes to have a good time, and he loves doing ribs. And oh, everything. man. Uh, Garrett Hernandez asks, uh, any crazy drunk Vince McMahon stories that you can tell? I got some I, can, I probably shouldn't tell on, on a podcast. <laughs> I'd probably get fired, but it'll probably, if a book ever comes out, and I'm near near nearby my my sand limb my expiration date i might tell yeah. some of those stories tell in my book so look for the book i got some great stories of him chasing me down a hallway with uh something and then uh, they loved ribbing me uh sean because i was known to have a queasy stomach and just about anything makes me throw well you know yeah. bad gas big show used to save his uh his bad gas 
and save it up and then come up to gorilla position where I was on a headset and doing live TV and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything. Oh. And he would pass it, and I would start throwing up, barfing, and all this stuff. And they, everybody, including Vince, would get get just a big laugh out of it. Stephanie uh. would get it. Would the go to catering? Would we have pea soup? Get a mouthful of pea soup. Come up and just go to ask me a question, and the pea soup would come out like she was puking all over me. Uh, and I'd same thing. I, I, you know, I got picked on. I got bullied all the damn time. You know, it was just fun. We were having fun. And that's, you got to do that to relieve the tension of those damn lives. So yeah, you unless you've done one, you don't, you don't have a clue what goes on backstage behind that curtain and the pressure and the, and the, uh, the intensity and the competitive spirits that are back backstage. And so anything to relieve that tension backstage, it's fun, you know? And so I, I, I'm just, I'm just blessed that, People liked me, and people got along with me, and people thought I had the right talent for the right situations, and I was put in those positions to succeed, and Vince uh, was very good about that, and uh, and I love that family. I have people say I'm probably kissing the ass, but you know what? They've been good to 35 years. You know, I've been uh, they've been good to me, and I've I, and by uh, every token, I've I've returned that kindness to them out of my hard work. So. I'm proud of what I've done, and I'm proud of the people I work for. And Vince and uh, that family do not get the credit for the kindness and the generosity that they give to people. And all 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 you hear about is the negative stuff from those guys. But Vince isn't the type of guy that goes around and does something good and brags about it. You know, he never says anything about it. You know, so uh, they're they're a great company to work for, great people to 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 be around and uh, very gracious people and uh and I, I I just don't know what to say except I'm thankful and blessed to be a part of that company for thirty five years. Absolutely. Hassan Ajaz uh, says, How did the evening gown match with uh, Pat uh, Patterson come, <laughs> yeah, come to about? Break that up. It was terrible. Yeah, well you it mentioned the bra snap, you know, getting the bra on. Uh, but I mean how did how it came about in uh I get and your thoughts. It says on the match. Oh, yeah. how it comes about! I still blame Michael Hayes for it, but he says it wasn't him. It was Vince, but I blame Michael Hayes because Michael Hayes said, "You know, he'll Michael. He's a loud mouth. He, he shot his word off about even gown match, and all of a sudden, that's what I did. I'll put him in a damn evening gown match." <laughs> so, what the story was, you know, Pat screwed me out of the hardcore totally through the champagne eyes and hit my head with a bottle and. and covered me and we had 24 seven at the time and one, two, three, me and he, he became hardcore champion. So I got mad at Pat and I was chasing Pat down and I did a promo, you know, uh, I did a, did, we did a spot in one of those towns where I was searching for him. I went to every closet and I, I didn't say it, but the, the people that said I would, I was looking for Pat Patterson. I wouldn't go in a dress. I would, I, I know where to find him. He's in those closets, you know, you know, you know, Pat's background and he wrote a book about it, you know? So it was kind of those subconsciously dropping that deal without really saying, you know, the guy is, is, is gay, you know? So, uh, so, uh, I finally tracked Pat down. He was in the girl's dressing room, dressed like a girl, dressed like, uh, at that time we called them divas. He was in diva dressing suits. Uh, one of the referees told me, yeah, I was talking over one of the matches with the girls and I saw Pat in there smoking. So I walked in there and me and him got in a, a powder fight. You know, we rode out and we rode out 
it was staged where Vance was standing there doing an interview with somebody for on air, and we, of course, interrupted the interview, roll it out. And, of course, Vince starts, Patterson, Briscoe, you dumb, you know, he starts got the promo on us. You guys want to fight so bad. He said, you can fight, you can fight the next pay through. Matter of fact, you can fight. I damn, if you like a dressing room, women's dressing room so much, you can do damn evening gown match. So yeah. there we were. We're stuck in an evening gown match. Now, that's how that took place. And I was so pissed at Michael Hayes for saying, hey, an evening <laughs> gown match. But he says he didn't do it. And it was bad. Well, but at least it wasn't I diapers. I still think Michael Hayes did it. Huh? It could have been, been diapers. So at least, uh, you mean, you had yeah, some. Yeah, it could have been diaper match. <laughs> I got so much grief from uh, – Oh, John yeah. Wallman and uh, Razor Ramon over that. What were you guys smoking when you came up with that match? <laughs> Not that we right. should have been. We come up with something better, you know. <laughs> All right, and the last one here, Jerry Brian Florio asks, uh, who came up with the idea for you and Pat Patterson to come out to Real American? Uh, we did. Pat and I did, you know, and I and I always wanted to do it uh, the whole time we were doing a thing because we come out to different things, you know, and I, <laughs> we're in Florida, number one. You know, we're in Florida, and, uh, you know, that Terry's from Florida, Hogan from Florida, you know, and I the my history with Terry and everything. I said, you know, I'm a Native American. I'm the real American in this sort of company, not, not, not him, you know. So, okay, you're going to come out to – Hogan's music. So we, you know, we 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 spooked uh, the Road Warriors. We spooked a lot of teams yeah. and everything. But that would come out, and I, I, I pretend I couldn't tear my shirt like Hogan. You know, I was <laughs> trying to tear my shirt still, and say trying to rip it, and it wouldn't rip. But it was a Briscoe Brothers Body Shop shirt. I didn't want to take it off and tear it up. So. <laughs> That's right. It's so but we came out to that. And we did all the posing and all that. It, you know, we were having fun. That's what yeah. it was all about yeah. at that time. Is the attitude there? And we were just having fun, and we were spoofing people. And then you know, and Terry and Terry Terry tells me this day how much he loved it. You know. Yeah. Now, if it had been somebody else, I don't know if he'd loved it that much. <laughs> me being a vital part of his uh, his career, uh, he loved it. <laughs> All right, uh, Jerry, and the last question here, and uh, it really, this has been a really awesome conversation, uh, but what did it mean to you to be inducted in, in 2008 with your brother? I'm sure you miss him every day uh, to stand on that stage together and, uh, and just take in what a tremendous career that you, you two had accomplished at that point. Well, you're right. I do miss him every day. I miss talking to him. I miss uh, getting advice from him. I get miss getting direction from him. I miss getting chewed out by him, and, and I, I miss I miss the whole package of Jack Briscoe. And uh, and but uh, 2008 in Orlando, Florida, a town where we we used to own the promotion and own the building, and uh, wow. and again inducted in kind of your adopted hometown. Uh, you know, I'm an Okie, but, uh, you know, I, I've been in Florida for since 1970. So I'm a Floridian now, but, uh, my roots are Okie, but, uh, that was, that was my adopted hometown. And you get inducted in Orlando, Florida with my brother at my side, walking out on that stage, one of the biggest thrills and the biggest goosebump night I ever had in my life. And, uh, the magic just happened that night, and we were. We, I think, I think uh, Jack and I gave one of the best induction speeches of, of all time. And of course, JBL introduced us and was was the clown and the, and the, the, the funny guy that he is on the introduction. And uh, and he did such a tremendous job bringing us out. But it it, it was a thrill, and uh, and I'm I'm just really thankful that I was I've been blessed with 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 the opportunities. 
to make these Hall of Fames. I've been blessed with being in uh, about four major major Hall of Fames from from amateur to to college uh, to pro. And uh, you know you can't you can't get any more luckier than that. You just you know it's a career that I never never growing up in. Like I said, Bow Lake, Oklahoma, 200 people, Blackwell, Oklahoma people, uh, Blackwell, Oklahoma, about 4,000 people, maybe 6,000 people, you know, small rural Oklahoma towns and being able to travel the world like I have and then meet the outstanding people that I've met. And, you know, I mean, I, I you know, I, I, at one time, you know, at, at the White House there, I'm not bragging by anything, but, you know, I worked side by side with Donald Trump. And of course, one of my bosses was Donald Trump's cabinet members, and Rex Tillerson, that was a, his secretary of defense, was was Stillwater High School guy, just like I was. So, uh, you know, I said, "Wow!" I mean, you know, how time to change, you know, from being that uh, red dirt uh, poor boy in Oklahoma to you know to making something worth for work for my life. And, and I'm blessed. You know, I'm blessed to have the right people around me all the time, and have the friendship that I have from from people all over the world and all over the, the country and, and in this business. and the, But you have to work for that, too. It's just not handed to you. But I, I'm a blessed guy, Sean, and I appreciate it. All right. I uh, love that uh, Q&A there with, uh, with Jerry Briscoe. And, what you know, he's just uh, an incredible guy. And one thing I really admire about both him and his brother is that, uh, you know, they knew early on what uh, this business was all about, and they knew how tough it was to make it. And they'd also uh, saw, you know, also saw people that were making good money that just, you know, pissed it away. And these guys were, you know, businessmen from the start, and they saved their money. And also, you know, really sharp businessmen. They, uh, you know, got involved and had, uh, you know, owned uh, promotions and then also businesses and, and uh, did tremendously well. But uh, I, I, I think you'll agree with me, and, uh, and I know many of you did listen to the episode, the podcast, but hadn't heard that Q&A. And, uh, you know, you just uh, get to know a, a side of, of Jerry Briscoe that I know a lot of people never really had discovered, you know, because uh, a, lot of, a lot of times, especially after their careers are over and uh, they aren't necessarily in the limelight, and uh, when they are, you know, because he was, many people today remember him as being one of the Stooges, along with, uh, you know, Pat Patterson. Uh, and they don't realize the, the history that he had in, in, in the ring, uh, you know, what, what he was able to accomplish in the ring. But also uh, what else that, that he did, you know, and as I mentioned about him being a businessman and just uh, really uh, just fantastic uh, stories from him and you know we could have gone on and on i mean that podcast certainly could have been five hours long we'll have to do another version uh, because i'd love to have him back he's just so much fun to talk to and i hope that his uh, health uh remains good and he and he and he stays healthy because uh we need him on the planet for as long as we can uh as we move along here in this very special episode of prime time with sean mooney uh really shifting gears here and uh mike mcgurk uh, if you remember in the uh, in the uh, mid '80s, there in the uh, uh, in into the '90s, you know, uh, Mike McGurk was uh, one of the first uh, female uh, ring announcers who found great success. Now, there, I'm not saying saying there weren't others before her, but Mike took the stage. I mean, she really uh, captured the attention of uh, of the world of professional wrestling, and she had her own style, the way she did things. She was very good at it. 
And, um, you know, Howard Finkel was the uh, the main ring announcer there and, and known throughout the world as, uh, you know, kind of the Michael Buffer, really, of, of uh, professional wrestling as far as, uh, you know, being a ring announcer. And, uh, you know, very much thanks to Vince McMahon. But, uh, you know, Howard had that distinct voice, you know, the WWE, the WWF, you know, and uh, Hulk Hogan, you know, and uh, Mike was, you know, of course, she was a female, so she wasn't going to try and copy his style, but she really, really developed her uh, a very uh, distinct style of her own. And it's amazing to think about what she probably had to endure because, uh, as we've talked about many times during podcasts, that it's it very much, was very much a, a, a man's world. I uh, mean, uh, you know, the, as I've, I've said, I've never been a part of a, an organization that I felt was more tolerant of everybody. But at the same time, it was a very male-dominated industry. And, uh, you know, and you're on the road and uh, you've got uh, you've got to put up with a lot. And uh, she did. And that certainly comes from her genes. Uh, you know, her, her dad, Leroy McGurk, and uh, she talked about in that episode, I mean, just what a tough son of a bitch that guy was. And really... And so she was, uh, you know, tough. I mean, her name's Mike, for goodness sakes. Uh, he wanted a son, and uh, she lived up to that and more uh, and, and was a really sharp uh, business person and, uh, you know, could do everything and did when it came to the business, from setting rings up to running ring crews and pulling trailers and and uh, becoming a, a very well-known ring announcer in the uh, the World Wrestling Federation. And uh, so when we did uh, get her for the conversation, and I, I didn't know. I mean, we we set up so many dates to get her on, and then think something would fall through, and then we finally finally got her, and uh, it was awesome because she, I, man, that that was a very very long podcast, but just hearing her side and getting her perspective of what was going on, and uh, it got even better when we uh, got to the questions from our very loyal Patreon members. So uh, here's Mike McGurk in the, in the Q&A we had with her. But uh, I've kept you a while. But uh, before uh, we wrap it up here, we, uh, you know, we had, uh, you know, our listeners, when they found out that we were going to have you on, they, we uh, gave them the opportunity to throw some questions out. We selected a few. If you'll, you'll take them, if you've got some time here. Sure. I'd love to send them to you. Uh, Garrett Hernandez uh, says, what is the best advice your dad ever gave you? Love that question. Um, never let him see you sweat. Never let him see you sweat. He was, uh, and that could that could be in any capacity. Uh, don't let him see you cry. Don't let him see. Don't ever show weakness. Yeah. In other words, never. You know, don't it, don't show weakness. Um, be strong. I didn't raise uh, a coward. I didn't raise this. And so th- that was the best advice that he ever gave me is um, never, never, um, never, never let a, and, and I'll take that. It's got kind of twofold. It's never let him see you sweat and there is subject to change. No matter <laughs> what life bringing you, it's, it, there is, it was always subject to change. And, he always put that into um, his the program, is that uh, tonight's events uh, are subject to change. And, if I, if I, and, and, Just like and life. that was a, huh? Just like life. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, 
what did I better tell you? He was riding along on the gravy train, um, enjoying being a world's junior heavyweight champion, and bam, I mean, literally. And he had taught me that, and that, again, this whole interview about being diversified, where I tell people, and I'm really inspired by um, people that, like, like, my dad was such an example of don't let people see your weaknesses and, and don't let them, you know, he never wanted to be thought of as, as handicapped, ever. That's why I was telling you, you know, the only things that he ever did in Braille happened to be cards, and he was very good at cards. And um, uh, he, he didn't believe that you um, should let the handicap own you, um, that there's other things that you can show people, because the, the truth of it is, and I'm going to tell my listeners, I know this is a long question, and thank you for asking, and um, it was Garrick, is that right? Did I get it? it was right? Yeah, Garrett Hernandez, yeah. Okay. All right. And is that um, my dad was, he, he, he thought he was at the end of the road. When he was up at Johns Hopkins Hospital, he, um, he tried to jump out the window, and they caught him. He, he, he was done. Really? And, wow. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> he was, he, he was, it was done. Um, the psychiatrist came back to my father and asked him after this that um, he said, Leroy, I'm going to give you 24 hours. And he said, I want an answer. If you could change you know, hypothetically, if you could change and be anybody else, you would have to step into their life, who would it be? And I'll come back and I want an answer. My dad never came up with an answer except to be Leroy McGurk. And he had, that thrust him into, well, the leader dog. Well, he, the leader dog was to get him around, but also he loved animals. But um, he started the program up in Rochester, Michigan, Rochester, I believe Michigan, and it's the uh, this is the leader dog school for the blind, and he uh, was a big part of that. He um, um, because he had a leader dog, and he had leader. I, I, I still have his harness, you know, where the dog because I I remember my dad being physically fit constantly, and it would be freezing cold no matter what, and he would take that leader dog and he would walk and hike five miles. It's incredible. And um, people, you know, still would say, I saw your dad out walking today. Um, and the independence that he showed. So never, you know, never let a handicap um, own you. And that whatever happens to you in life, or as he said, you know, um, play the cards you're dealt. And he was a card player. And he said, but never fold. So, again, you know, and never let them see you sweat. Never let them, never, never let them know your hand. <laughs> Oh, that's good advice anyway. there. All right, this is yeah. from Matt Richards. He said, did Vince ever consider have you, having you as a ring announcer for a pay-per-view? I didn't, you, you never announced for a pay-per-view event? No. Um, there was a, a Howard Finkel uh, attachment to that. And um, I don't know what Howard would say or how he felt and um, him being in the office. I don't know, but Howard Howard owned that. In fact, I did a couple of um, of his shows, and that didn't. You know, I, he he wanted he wanted me to take over uh, Howard's spot, and I did a couple of them, but um, it 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 changed. So sure. whatever went on <laughs> there, and and uh, how again, Vince is 
he is more loyal to people than than uh, a lot of them realize. Because you know Howard, until I guess he's he's not well. I that's the last I heard. You know he had a place in the company still, so um, oh, yeah. he took yeah. care of him. But no, I never had the chance of pay per view. All right, uh, I know you answered this, I think, in our conversation, but maybe you have something more to add to it. Uh, Hassan Ijaz says, uh, was it difficult being a female announcer during a fairly male-dominated industry? <laughs> from, the, from the beginning. Um, yeah, there was a, a proving ground that, um, that I had no idea of the proving ground that I would have to do in all those different aspects from... Um, you know, from the television crew to having the people that was in New York that wasn't and maybe never had heard of my dad or, or myself. Most of them did, though. But um, still, it was like, what is she doing here? And um, it was hard in that fact because you, you know, as I've talked about, we didn't make waves. And um, I didn't have, you know, Sherry wasn't really there when I first started. And um, so I was, again... Put with the bird, or uh, you know, or with Matilda, and um, uh, <laughs> I was glad because um, neither one of them could talk what they saw. So you know, I was I was a okay with that. But um, <laughs> thank you, Matilda. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> poor dog. Oh my God, oh jeez, and 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 the birds. But I thought this isn't great, you know. Um, and now in this day and time, you mean they put you with animals? Oh my God, yeah, women's lib would love that. But um, Boy, yeah. I thought it was pretty liberated just to do that. But, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it 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 was it was tough, but um, you know, I I truly believe that the desire to make money and make. Um, I wanted to extend my dad's name, the most for uh, because of how hard he worked, and I didn't want to make anybody ashamed, um, especially him. And I wanted, I couldn't wrestle, didn't want to, and, and but yet still have the stamina and and that my dad would be proud of me yeah. on the road and conducting myself as he said as a lady, and yet still one of the guys. And uh, that was a kind of fine line sometimes. Um, not for them ever coming on to me because that I didn't ever I didn't ever have that um, I had nothing but them hey you want to snort well a snort was exactly what that meant back in the day which right. would be a, you know they'd have a half pint or something and it was like oh my god well sure you didn't turn that down you know I can handle that I can do that and that's you know and they that hey I. I'd go on my merry way, and that's a little bit of, you know, respect. It's like, hey, she's okay. She's, you know, <laughs> was it easy on me? Not so yeah, much, but there too. was a, you know, yeah, yeah it took a lot of stamina. Because I wasn't always, I when I first started, wasn't used to that. Um, as I got into it, you bet, um, yeah, there was there was definitely Crown Royal involved. Never when I was working, but always, uh, always afterwards, um because they would, they would always say if somebody got my drink or whatever, they they uh, they identified me. It was like, oh, this must be McGurk's. It's Crown Royal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brian Florio says, do you have a favorite or memorable match that uh, you were a ring announcer for? One standout. Wow. Ladder match. Really. The ladder match. It With? was it was uh, something that had never happened before. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, yeah. 
the ladder match, and uh, uh, and it and it went. It was great. It was great. There's, there's, because when he asked that is the one that I announced. But um, so there's tons of other matches that I can tell you about. But for that one and to be a part of that and uh, and it it being the first, it was great. It was great. So yeah, the ladder match. Yeah, awesome. All right, Aiden Yastro wants to know, what do you think of Scott Hall as Razor Ramon always hitting on you in the ring for heel heat? Were you uh, friendly with him away from the ring? Oh, yeah. He, um, when I say that, just wait a minute. Part of oh, his yeah. gimmick. It took some time, and Scott, if anything, was um, probably the just opposite of really who that character was. And I think that's again, why a lot of times these characters work because, um, they're nothing, they weren't like that. And they were also, you know, that it was an extension of Vince's mind. And, you know, the characters came up out of Vince and he would, you know, emulate how he wanted the million dollar man to laugh and to grab, you know, his hand and, you know, and, and put it under, um, his, his, his armpit, you know, and how he'd laugh and the, the bodyguard, same thing with, um, Undertaker because in real life, Percy, brother Paul was that he was a trained mortician. Yeah. And right. when, when he, when he'll always be affectionately, I love him, brother Paul. Um, he would say when everybody else might be going out after our matches and we'd go get a, a, a cold one, a drink, and he said, well, I'm going to go downtown and get me a couple of cold ones. And I said, oh, my God, where are you going? And he said, to the local mortician. I'm going to the local funeral home. And, you know, and that's what he did. Yeah, whether he knew, you know, he might have known somebody, but he, he would do that because that, that was, you know, his, his secondary trade. But he was, he was great. Um, yeah. Um, but Razor, uh, that, that gimmick he had in the ring, though, it was, uh, you know. Razor. Was um, just as sweet as God. He probably he'd kill me for that, but he was. He his gimmick in the ring and his tough guy. And again, every time from rude, rude never. I mean, I I wouldn't know what he was going to do. It was Bobby that usually was behind something. Um, and the same thing with Razor um, and how he, you know think like, hey, chica, and I'd look at him, I mean, but nobody knows until now, but I'd look at him like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> really? Um, you wish, but that's how, kind of how the, we, uh, uh, you know, uh, Kurt, same way, I would give him, you know, I'd bet him, I'm like, okay, you're going to do the gum tonight, because he would be, you know, Mr. Cocky and all this, and flip that gum out, and right, um, right. Yeah, yeah, and I said, just keep it away from my hair, you know, or hey, did you see <laughs> that? You got loogies in there to deal with. You don't want gum to. Yeah, 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 it might <laughs> stick. And uh, I said, you know, or hey, did you see just where that went? It's down there in the second row, and she's looking all over, you know, and, and try to get him to laugh. Um, okay. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, Razor was, um, again, and my answer is if he paid attention to me, and could draw the heat. That's great. You know, they did a deal where Sid Vicious came out and was supposed to protect me, and uh, because Bully was blowing smoke in my face, and Harvey Wimpleman was being Harvey Wimpleman, being a little pencil neck geek. And um, uh, here comes Sid, ding ding ding. Here comes the the, the bell, and uh, out I go. So anything that they would do, 
Um, and see, that, that again, I was not prepped for that. Nice. And maybe that was another thing that they liked, where Howard had to be prepped, and me, they just wanted to see the reaction. And I think that was where it came off so good, because I didn't want to know. Uh, you know, I didn't, I, I just, to be a part of the program was, I just went with it, and, and was yeah, glad that they, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, he, just don't slam me and don't pull my hair. Yeah, there you go. Well, Tom, yeah. uh, Tom asks, uh, do you still talk to Lex Luger? I don't know if you've had a, a conversation with him uh, over the years, but uh, Tom wants to know if you uh, still have any contact or memories, I guess, of Lex Luger. A lot. The first one was, how in the heck am I going to get the narcissist out? You know, yeah. how am I going to get the, how, I'm, he's, what? And, you know, to, to announce that, right, you know, and have a good flow, the narcissist, uh, um, that was the hardest part about it. Lex was hard to get to know. Um, very quiet. Um, so uh, I haven't had the chance to talk to him. He was, again, I've never had anybody really be rude to me, but he came in later, and um, I probably showed too much attention to all the others, which, you know, Ric Flair. I've known Rick for a long, long time. Love, love Ric Flair. Um, that's another one of my, I would say, my my little boys, they, that, that um, he, he was... Uh, and still is a friend of mine and like family. He stayed at my house back in the day. And, um, um, gosh, 98, when he first, first took over on the belt. So, um, and that was again, NWA, my dad, you know, still was, uh, part of that. And the promoters put in money for that you know, on the belt because they would use the champion throughout the different territories. So, um, wow. Yeah, I, so I didn't have a history with Lex, and no, um, I haven't had the opportunity to talk to him. I have missed him when I've been on certain shows. Somebody would say, God, Lex was there. And a lot of times you're in the booth and you're talking to fans, and and I I talk to, to the fans first and then try to catch up with the guys because, after all, you know, um, thank you uh, for the fans, for them remembering or even caring, and and that I brought them some some happiness or bring back some memories. But um, I always would take care of the fans. I'd miss them, you know. I I well, I'll catch them later. Well, that doesn't happen anymore, you know. I was I saw Gene um, Thanksgiving uh, in North Carolina, and I, you know, Gene, he just a prince of a guy. And the night before, I was uh, uh, having a great time with the Nasty Boys and. Uh, just talking old stories and just like we, there had never been any time pass. We thought yeah. we were 20 and 30 again and uh, messing with Jane. And it was just, it just broke my heart. And I'm in the wrong part of the country. You know, it, it, they all had services in Florida and it was pretty quick. But I got to say what I, you know, had always loved him. I had rode with Jane too um, a couple times where I was driving and he'd be, you know, catching a ride with me back to whatever town we were in. And just a wonderful guy. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Loved it. I loved to listen to him speak. And yeah. he treated, you know, and he'd grab my hand and kiss it. And I'd think, oh, jeez. He, 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 yeah. Yeah. Sweetheart. Well, and uh, I know your connection with Liz and, um, you know, uh, Lex has... Lex Luger, the original question here, um, he is a different person now. I hope one day you get to have a conversation with him because uh, you probably have a few questions for him as well. But he's uh, really just a, a great person. I mean, uh, 
He's, oh, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Faith uh, is really, really strong now, but it's you know that li- that was life changing for him, and uh, Liz's death, and uh, he's really. He's, I hope you get a chance to see him. Yeah, how point. could it not be? You know, how could it not be? Um, again, in any in in our lives, um, it it's it's a change, and it affects you for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. no matter what. And um, and I and I, again, I have nothing bad to say about anybody and i just didn't have the opportunity to really get to to talk to lex and um he you know he he doesn't i just didn't see him out like with with the way that the uh, the guys you would go out and and um you know out after afterwards so um he probably wasn't trashing his body with alcohol and um and and so i didn't get a chance to talk to him and get to know him, he was from you know the uh, the uh, Atlanta part, but I would love to. Um, I mean, he's he. We were all part of this thing, you know, um, back in the day. And in fact, I had seen Liz. They had come to Tulsa, and she was with Lex in the ring. And I, he had come down and said that was another thing. He had come down. and He said she's not feeling well. And um, can I tell? Can I? tell her anything or I said something about that I love her and send her my best and um but that was that was really all that I've ever got to talk to to Lex on and I'm sure um he's he has he has quite a story to tell doesn't he yeah he sure does all right uh Sean Daniels uh this is a quick one is that your likeness and voice in the arcade game WWF WrestleFest I haven't heard it does um I haven't heard now. Somebody, well, I can't you know, imagine. I, I mean, I, who else that it could be? I mean, it's you're pretty much, uh, you know, they've had recent ones, but no one stands out from that era of if there was a woman announcer, it's you. So I I would imagine it is. I don't know if you've seen the residuals from that yet, but. <laughs> I haven't got anything. Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. Residuals? Yeah. <laughs> My residuals is this. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. just getting to talk to you and the fans, yeah. so. Yeah, that's, and here's a yeah. here's a great one to wrap it up with. Michael Gonzalez says, uh, "Being a revolutionary woman in the world of sports entertainment, how do you feel about the current crop of current? Uh, he calls them evolutionists. I mean, I, I guess he's saying people that are, uh, you know, like I said, trailblazers. What do you think about the uh, other people that have followed your path? Well, and, and that's great. They, you know, we've got new words and and uh, <laughs> for for what they do." And, and that's, I, I can't even say how, um, I'm proud of every one of them that, that they do, uh, and, and take it and make it their own, um, and call it whatever they, they, uh, may do. Um, my, my love and hope that is that they, um, that they love it as much as that I do and did and still do. So there's no did, um, and, uh, that, Hey, that's a great word, and I think um, I I wouldn't want to take away from what they're what they're doing. I think it's that's great, and I'm I really like to see um, Charlotte. I like to see Rick's daughter. I like to see um, the women coming out of from. I, I want to see some some matches. I I enjoyed the heck out of seeing the gals um, Medusa. 
um, and, and Sherry. And, you know, I know where they got trained from. And, um, but this is a different kind, and, and you, you go with what um, the people want. And um, I think it's, I, hey, go, go, you gals. Take it and run with it. Make your money. I'm just sorry I'm not a part of it. You know, I would have loved to have um, a reality show. They would have uh, definitely called it fiction. <laughs> they wouldn't have believed it. Um, uh, and, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think it's great. Well, what what a ride it's been uh, to Mike, and um, I you're, you're really humble about this, and I don't know if you really ever thought about it, but uh, do you realize the impact that you had when you see and and uh, you know you didn't step into the ring, but there are a lot of women that have uh, you know come after you in the world of announcing, and and you know they're certainly on the same level with a lot of men. I don't know if you would take any credit for that, but. Uh, do you look back and realize that you did have quite an impact on uh, the broadcasting industry for women? No, I, 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 um, gosh, it, it, uh, I'm again. I get humbled and almost embarrassed to even try to take any any credit. I'm thankful that I mean that. People want to hear, um, but I'm I'm on the other side of where you know I I loved Elvis or I you know and I wanted to know about what their time and their life was what was it like for working for him so I get it um, and that there is you know now I say everybody's got a story but um, I don't even realize it I don't Sean I'm I said for you to even ask of me to uh, hear my, hear a little bit of how it all happened involved and for fans who call in and um, goodness. Uh, and again, I don't, I don't, I can't take credit for it. Um, the good Lord above had plans and um, he knew where my heart was and how uh, I, I, I wanted to play into this business somehow to credit my father. He wanted a boy to carry that name in on and in the wrestling business and, um, I couldn't do it in in the ring per se as a wrestler, but I could do it in the ring, and and I, that's why I kept my name always. Um, I w- yeah, I used to be Mrs. Blair, but um, I, I I don't know if I ever used it. Uh, it was, McGurk was always always there. In fact, my son took the name when he was eighteen um, because you know history goes on that dad wasn't really around, and he loved. He loved the wrestling business. He grew up around it, seeing around it with me some of his life. And the name had always treated him right, and it was a strong name. And so he's, he's Max McGurk and wrestled. Um, it was down in developmental for a while, and um, it, that was a different change. It was around 2009, 2010, he was down there, and um, I, he was too young. I said it, but he went on, and, and J.R., helped to um jim ross and we both kind of he said i'm not promising anything and there was no promises if you got a break to go down there so he you know that was another thing he had to live down which i didn't even expect the guys would give him a hard time over who his mom was and um i'm like they remember that (laughs) they do and they you know um i would go in there and talk to dusty dusty was uh running some of it down there with steve kern in tampa and uh uh, I, I, who's running the show? Because they worked 
Max had three concussions, like within you know six months, and something told me that's not how it's supposed to be done. You take care of them. You know, if you're if you're training them, you don't intentionally get them hurt, and you know that's not teaching them. And um, there was another girl that had come down there, and she'd been there like two weeks, and they broke her jaw. So it was a crazy time, and they, you know, it, everybody was scrambling to fight for their job. But that was one of the first times that uh, Max would tell me, he goes, God, they're like showing films of you. And there I sat, and I go, oh, God, I'm sorry. You know, because like, uh-huh. they were, you know, saying remarks about his mom. And, and then, um, yeah, so I, I didn't realize it, still don't. And wow. uh, the the shadow that's cast is like upon the like like my dad was. There was no way I'd ever achieve the accolades that he did. And wow. when I learned that, then I needed to take what strength he gave me and make a, a a place for myself. But it took everybody else to be able to do it. I couldn't just say, "Hey, this is what I'm going to do." You know, you had you had so many factors. You had the Vince McMahon. You had all the the wrestlers. You had there was a lot of people that it took to uh, uh, make it work. So um, I, I don't, I can't take all the responsibility. I love it, but I think part of it that that I had the sheer determination and guts to go and do it, and 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 that it pulled off. Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> I'll, t- well, I, I'll take that. I think we know where that came from, and I, uh, I think if that man who asked your dad who he wanted to be uh, were to ask him uh, who would you have wanted for a child, then. Uh-huh. I'm sure he wouldn't have hesitated. He would have. He would have said, uh-huh. "Mike McGurk, my daughter." And I'm sure. And uh-huh. you're sure, he's looking down. You're still making him proud, Mike. I hope so. Uh, yeah. Both of them. I mean, it, you know, from because um, my mom. You didn't think my mom um, would ever say anything because th- again, this was in her blood. This has been something that she'd been around since she married my dad. So you know, she understood the schedule. So it. You know, for me to get to do it, there wasn't there wasn't even a question. It's like, go. I mean, it was a show. It didn't matter if it was dad's anymore. It was a show, and they were dependent on you. And then um, there you are. You know, yeah. it's it's how you're raised, how your 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 backbone, and um, just again how you're raised, and yeah. uh, uh, and and your word is your word, and that I. I it got another story, and there's plenty more of like, what was it like when you were first pulling the ring, and you're going against all these pe- all these other territories and these promotions. Let me tell you, it was not easy. And there's a story B on that, how you know that Vince had sent word down, so this is not going to be easy, and you've got you know you're going into territories and taking away their livelihoods, um, and WWF's coming in here, and you're carrying the ring. Just remember, and hell, I you know. I, I I can do this, and there was a couple of uh, attempts to uh, put my ring out of business, and yeah. because WWF was coming in and taking what their way of life, um, as they knew, you know, same thing that it, of course, same thing that I did with with Bill, and it was it was um, a nice. A nice way of uh, coming back uh, at a promotion that your dad had started, and you're running opposition um, to the, the promotion. But it didn't matter to me. It, I was I was getting paid to uh, come in there and, and do a job. And you know, sorry, Bill, I didn't even think about it. And wow. and uh, so yeah, there was some there was a, a, some attempts to um, a little payback. 
I'm sorry? I said a little payback. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I, you know, I, I didn't have anything to do with it. I wasn't going to say no <laughs> and not do the job because it would be somebody else. But, um, yeah, it, it, for all those times that uh, he tried to buy me out and didn't want me around my father, and, um, he, and I was the eyes to my dad a lot and telling him the things that were going on, he wanted me out of the picture. Um, so, yeah, it couldn't, have, uh, it couldn't have happened a better, better way. And, wow, right? There's... <laughs> I, yeah, I, there's just so many, so many great stories from Mike, and I'd always wondered because, uh, you know, we had, uh, uh, you know, talked to her about her dad, and uh, you know, he carried a gun around, and uh, uh, you know, uh, that uh, that whole conversation <laughs> that she talks about with with B. Brian Blair and uh, their relationship. And goodness sakes, man, uh, can you imagine? I mean, he must have really loved that woman to uh, stick around with uh, someone who didn't have the greatest eyesight in the world, had an incredible temper, and uh, was not afraid of uh, pulling the trigger on a gun. <laughs> so uh, really, uh, really enjoyed that conversation with Mike. And, you know, yeah, she just laid it all out there, man. And uh, didn't you think it was interesting that, uh, you know, she talked about her relationship with Sensational Sherry, uh, in the podcast, and uh, you know, uh, she talked about in the in the Q and A there. I mean, it was being a woman in the industry was not easy, um, and especially at that at that point in uh, time in in history. So, uh, really glad that we finally got Mike on there, and just just an incredible uh, an incredible woman, and you know, been successful. I know she's a very successful real estate agent where she lives, and. Uh, just uh, a, a great uh, example of, of someone who, you know, never asked for anything from anybody. I mean, and she earned everything that she uh, has uh, received in this world and, uh, and is still doing it. And uh, really, really enjoyed having her on the podcast. Okay, so we've got uh, one more to go here. And uh, this, uh, this individual, <laughs> you know, people kind of got this wrong because, you know, you, you, you read about how things uh, happened in uh, the history of the uh, the WWF, and uh, I've read somewhere that uh, you know when they talk about Todd Pettengill, that uh, he replaced me, and that wasn't the case. That wasn't the case at all because you know Todd came in before I left, and if you uh, you know had, of course if you were a fan then then you, you you saw him on on television, you saw him in all of the WWF program, but he was you know incredibly different than me. I was more of the straight guy. Uh, Todd was a, a legit comedian. I mean, he was uh, had uh, and still to this day uh, does a morning radio show out of New York. But at the time, man, he was uh, that was a really uh, very, very, very popular uh, radio program in New York City. And he did this show with uh, with Scott Shannon. And so anyway, Vince was, uh, you know, uh, uh, listened to radio in the morning, I guess, when he was out uh, driving to work or whatever, and uh, was a big fan of Todd's and got in touch with him and brought him up for uh, an audition. And he ended up getting the job. And I don't think either of them, I don't think Vince knew, I don't think Todd knew what he was going to be able to uh, do for the WWF. Um, but, uh, he, he was able to, you know, really, uh, display a lot of his talents. He didn't know anything about wrestling coming in. Um, but, uh, he certainly uh, held his own there and was there for a number of years. 
you know, and b- completely different. It wasn't that he wasn't the, an event center guy. They, he didn't do that. Uh, he hosted a lot of programming and uh, was, you know, I just think really uh, a very talented individual. And man, we had fun in the podcast. I don't know if you listened to it, but we had a blast chatting. And I always thought that it would have been uh, it would have been great if I had stuck around a little longer because I think we could have done, uh, you know, had had some uh, a lot of fun together working at the WWF. But uh, I had other plans, and uh, he, uh, you know, got a lot of television experience there. And when it was time to move on. He was ready to go, but uh, did it, you know had a lot uh, did a lot then. So uh, here's a portion of the uh, the Q and A that uh, we had uh, with him as he uh, goes a little bit further, gets a little deeper into his time at the WWF. Take a listen. Well, uh, Todd, before I let you go, though, I've got a few questions from our listeners. Would you mind taking a few from them? Sure, no problem. You, you still have a lot of fans out there, and and I'm telling you, when I put this up, I've got a you know a Patreon uh, membership, and it like lit up. Uh, people, we give them an opportunity to send us some questions, so we we uh, picked some out here. So uh, this is from Daniel Zamorano, and he said, "Which superstar did you like to work with the most?" I think you may have already touched on that, but was there someone else? And and you said you mentioned Ted. I don't I don't know if uh, if you really talked about how much you. Like working with him. Oh, he was. I, I when I whenever I think about him, it, it's probably the most laughter uh, because really? we, he was just crazy. Yeah, I mean it, the 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 things that we would come up with and and just go with, and they let you go. You know that was the beauty of it. It either yeah. worked or it didn't, but they let you. You know they let you explore it, and and that was rare especially when you're talking about, you know, the money involved, yeah. but as far as, um, as far as, you know, wrestlers, um, did, did I have a favorite? I mean, it, it, it's so hard. Um, I, I don't know if I could ever loved the interviews with, with Yokozuna. Um, uh, yeah, Todd, say that again, was, Todd, Todd, say that again, you broke up. So, so just pick it up from there. Okay. Yeah, the interviews with Yokozuna uh, <laughs> were classic. Oh yeah. Because you got nothing. You yeah. just got the stare. Yeah. You know. And then later, you know, <laughs> off camera, how was I? No, you were great. You know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it was better than the last one we did, Yo. Yeah, Yoko, I think it was better than the last one. I mean, you were the, it was just <laughs> so funny. Yeah, I mean, they were all they were all great to work with. I think I I've, I've said in the past that I, I didn't have bad blood with anybody, but you know, Razor Razor Ramon was a guy that I don't think he and I ever really saw eye to eye on much. And you know, he was like, "You're stealing my gimmick." You know, yeah, you got yeah, the, yeah. you got all it going. <laughs> so, but they're all great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Nick says, uh, uh, excluding yourself and and me. Uh, your name, your Mount Rushmore of backstage interviewers. Well, I, 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 you just took the two top guys out. So what, what's left, Todd? Yeah, what's left? <laughs> I mean, I mean, Gene obviously yeah, has the top of that list. Yeah. Uh, Bobby Heenan. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jerry Lawler. Yeah. These guys are, you know, you talk about pros. You know, Finkel, who who did 
I, I just thought a great job, you know, with, with what that guy was surrounded with, but the, you know, the backstage guys are the legendary guys, gorilla monsoon. Um, you know, I mean, there were so many, uh, do you do a just, Finkel? You mu- everybody does a Finkel. WWE. I never did a Finkel. Oh come on! I never, I, really? I never did a Finkel. Oh. No, I never did a Finkel. No. All right, uh, Zen Dog Multimedia. Uh, to tell tell the truth, you replaced Mooney because he didn't want to wear a toga, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that that's exactly what happened. I said, nope, finally, not wearing the Finally, the truth comes out after it, uh, <laughs> all these years. We can finally say it. No, I never yes. replaced you. No, I did yeah. not. Yeah, but, the, but uh, uh, and I never did get to find out what I look like at a toga, but uh, uh, you <laughs> did. You did. You get to find out. All right, Ernest. Yeah, it wasn't Derek, good. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Nobody looks good in a, a toga. It's still a bed sheet, no matter no. How, you, how you break it down. That's right. Uh, Ernest De- uh, Derek Diaz, how was it working with Macho Man Randy Savage, which you already talked about? But uh, uh, did you um, did you get to be around Liz to end him, or was that already? Over? Nah, that was on the on the outs. Yeah, and that was a tough time for Randy too. I mean, uh, oh yeah, you know, but uh, you got through it. But that was, if you had known Randy before, you know, when that was all going on, I mean, it really was, as much as the, it was a gimmick, you know, of, uh, of the jealous, oh. and, you know, but there was some yeah. truth to that too. And, and uh, I always wondered, man, if, they, if that ever uh, shattered what it would do to him. And, you know, he rose above it. Oh, but, I know. But that, that had to be a tough he time. He definitely rose above it. Yeah, was it, did you ever did he ever talk to you about it? Did he ever confide? A little, you know. There was he would talk a little bit, and then he'd snap himself out of it. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's that's the kind of person he was. Yeah. Well, he knew how to be on when he needed to be, and uh, and and really, no I, I just question. think in a lot of ways people really didn't uh, really ever understand him. But uh, one of the you know, and also as far as performers went, Todd, and you saw him many times. Uh, you know, he would, he would say, you know, those people out there paid their money that they work for yep. and I owe them to go out there and give them everything I got. And you saw him perform at times when he was just uh, a mess. I mean, physically just beat, you know, beat oh, absolutely riding in pain. Yeah. I mean, literally riding in pain backstage. And then when that, when that curtain opens, you'd never know it. I mean, he was a performer, the consummate professional and, and to a man, Sean, I think you'll say that. 99% of the guys were like that. They, they yeah. appreciated the fans, you know, they, yeah. it, it, it's so different than a, than a lot of, a lot of athletic events where these guys are going through the motions. Well, you go through the motions in wrestling, you're going to get hurt. Um, and, but these guys were all about the fans. They knew it. They knew that they were their bread and butter and they appreciated it, which, which I think got people to either love them more when they were a baby face or, hate them more when they were a heel, you know, they just, that's how it was. Yeah. All right. This is from Matt Richards. I always enjoyed Todd and thought he brought a fun, lighthearted attitude toward the product. I guess my question for him is what was his favorite memory of working for the WWE? Is there a moment, is there something that really stands out? One of those events or something you did? Boy, um, that, that's so hard because there were, yeah, I know so many moments. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, and, and looking back on it all these years, 
I think the things that, that I remember most were the people. So it was, you know, working with Randy and working with Ted and working with doc and, and, you know, giving away a house. Um, and you know, that was, it was really cool. And some of the riding a horse at Madison square garden, I mean, you, you know, there were just, things, you know, for fan fest and, and, and meeting the fans and <clears throat> excuse me, truly, I think the, the thing that I take away the most from that is, is the fans yeah. because they, they don't forget. We've said it time and time again, whether they love you, whether they hate you, they remember. And, and that's rare in, in for anything, but there's mm-hmm. a connection. There's such a connection to it. Um, you know, we say in the business that, you know, if you're doing content, make it sticky, make it, you know, make it something that people can react to, that people feel one way or another about. I mean, the, Pat Sajak has had a great career, but he's one of the rare guys that you don't really love him. You don't really hate him. He's yeah. just sort of there. Yeah. And, and that's rare to survive that long. So, you know, making sticky content is what the WWF was great at and the WWE yeah. is great at. Um, and, and because of the fans, it sticks. And all these years later, it still sticks, which is mind boggling to me. All right. This is from uh, Sean Daniels. And this is a kind of a, a two part. And, um, you know, he said, maybe ask him questions about some of those contests the WWE did live on the air and the show live wire. And, you know, at, Todd, I don't know if you realize it or not, but you were really one of those people that was kind of out in the, out in the forefront, the WWE doing this, where you, where you had really those first real interaction shows that mm-hmm. uh, we, see, we see very often now. But back then, did you kind of realize that was, uh, you know, uh, charting some new territory? Yeah, it was groundbreaking for television. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah. and again, in radio, you, you, we did right. it a lot. Right. But but for television to do that and open it up to the fans and give the fans access right. was really unusual. You know, you're right. Now it's it's pretty much commonplace and but you gotta remember there was no internet, you know, there was no social media. Yeah. There was you know, this is a, a time before any of that and to give fans access, I think again goes back to Vince and Linda and is the reason that the fans were so into it because you could you could actually call a show and talk to one of them, which I mean, yeah. how cool is that? Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. And, and uh, I, I think the one that really stands out is he, he follows up here with the, in your house, when you gave a house away, uh, that must have been, <laughs> that must have been pretty awesome. I mean, it was, I think the phone rang about 300 times it, and then, yeah. you know, you talk about filling time and we're giving away a house <laughs> and it was the whole build up and, yeah. You know, that whole huge glass case full of all the entries. It was insane. I mean, we're giving away a house. Come on. Yeah. It doesn't get any better than that. Uh, Rob oh. Francois. Uh, Rob Francois says, I hope I said, I said his last name correctly. He said, a great get, man. See, now you're a get, Todd. Me getting you was a get. So that's oh. pretty fantastic. He said, I'm so excited for this. And it's not really a question. Cause, well, I guess it is, but you've answered it. But, um, did he enjoy his time in the WWF? I thought he was fantastic. God, I don't know where, where these people are. Like, all I get on, <laughs> well, all I Tom, get let on me tell you something. Is, 
No, but Todd, they, 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 you know, they soften with age. I mean, they, I got, you know, believe me, I got enough grief too. Every time Alfred and I would do play by play and like, Oh my goodness. You know, <laughs> so they, they have softened with age. Let's put it that way. But yeah, you, you really did. I mean, uh, you, you said you, you really enjoyed being a part of that. And maybe, I guess it, maybe it took a few years later to really understand it did, it did for me. But, uh, you know, did it take you a while to look back and say, you know, that's pretty cool I did that? It did. I mean, yeah. I, I never thought if you would have asked me, you know, if you were going to be a commentator for wrestling, it's, what? no, that, that'll never happen. But yeah. it, it's some of my fondest memories when I look back. And, and again, it's the people. You know, it, yeah. it, it could have been an absolutely horrible experience if the people weren't nice. And you would never yeah. know that behind the scenes, you know, no, right. nobody watching would say, Oh, this guy's an idiot. This guy, no, because that, you know, you don't have a product if that's the case. And, and there are, as you know, even in newscasts or radio shows, they can't yeah. stand one another. And, and the environment is terrible, but you still put on a show because that's what you're paid to do with, yeah. with my experience there. Everything was positive, which, which made you want to go to work. You know, you got to remember it's still work. And, you know, you're still, you still have to hit your cuts and do your, hit your times and get in and out. It's still a job, but right. it, it doesn't feel like it when you're laughing the whole time and you're having a good time and you're still getting it done. So yeah, I mean, it was just awesome for me. I loved it. Aiden Yastro, I, I, this is a great question. How did he like walking around the areas during pay-per-views uh, and pre-shows? Did he ever get frustrated with the fans? getting in the way of the camera. You know, I, I remember a few dicey moments being out there sometimes, uh, uh, you know, handling those crowds. Did you uh, ever remember moments? When, <laughs> and what was that experience like for you? Well, the, the experience of being with the fans was, yeah. uh, for the most part, awesome. I mean, you'd, you'd once in a while get somebody yeah. who'd, who'd say something. But, it, you know, for the, for the most part, they were so into it that I went with it. You know, if I was yeah. on camera and somebody did some sort of, you know, knucklehead move, I put them on camera and then I went to them and then they wouldn't talk. Right. Yeah. They you freeze know? up. Like, Dude, you, were, you just, you just, <laughs> you know, bolted over four people to get to the camera. You want to say something, yeah. they freeze up. So right. I just made it part of the shtick, you know, yeah. and worked with it. Yeah. Um, because that's what you do, right? Where do you go? Where do you hide? There's nowhere to hide your life. You just, you just roll with it. And, nobody really was ever offensive. You know, we never got, and, and I don't know if that was the same for you, but there were, there weren't any, there weren't people trying to be idiots. They were just all into it, you know, yeah. which is great. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, 99.9% uh, .9 was always a great experience. Yep. Hassan Ijaz says uh, he seemed to have great chemistry with Doc Hendricks, uh, Michael Hayes. Uh, did he enjoy working with him? And any memorable stories? We we were in, God, I think it was Syracuse, uh -huh. and it, it was we were put up, as you know, sometimes, and it was a shock for me because when my first pay per view, you know, we we were staying at Caesar's Palace, and yeah. it was unbelievable. Right. But as you know. The room situations were not always the by best. star when, <laughs> when you were traveling on the road. Yeah, yeah, right. And one of the one of the places, and I, I'm ninety percent sure it was Syracuse, 
Uh, Doc and I both arrived at the same time. And I, my room literally had no door. There was, there was no door on my room. He was in the room next to me. So I said, listen, bro, I don't have a door. So I'm going to put like the dresser in front of the door. If I bang on the wall, that means somebody's murdering me or, or doing something. So are you a light sleeper? And it was a joke that went on for wherever we went then from yeah. any city would be like, Hey, you, you got a door on door. your room? <laughs> it literally had no door. And I called uh. down and they said, well, yeah, we'll, we'll send somebody up. Yeah. It had no door. <laughs> we'll send a door up. <laughs> we'll send a girl up with a door. Yeah. Housekeeping. You know, she didn't even have to knock. <laughs> what would she knock on? That's crazy. I guess the door she was carrying. I don't know. Uh, that was that was one so, of the doc stories that will yeah, forever live in infamy. It was, yeah, it was on the cart with the soaps. Was, oh, a door? Yeah, okay. But you enjoyed you you enjoyed working with him, right? Uh, oh, we had a blast. Yeah, yeah he was a, terrific. Uh, one of the one of the people who probably sweat the most of anyone. If you mentioned the word light, he would sweat. Um, yeah, really? And, and wow. that was just, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was a, he was a sweater man. He used to carry a a rag in his you know in his coat pocket. Every time he was you know you'd look and you'd say, "Are you going to dock?" And I I'd, I'd see it in the monitor, and he'd be mopping himself down. He was a <laughs> he was a sweater for sure. All right, so uh, Dane Float wants to know if you've got any ribs played on you by the boys, and if uh, one of them. Involved Owen. <laughs> Boy, that's funny. Um, no, but Owen did at the King of the Ring. Uh, God rest his soul again. But he he picked me up or attempted to pick me up, and and I I was like not having it. And it was I think one of the only times on camera that I literally said, "Dude." You know, like I sort of broke for a second because you get hurt, man. I mean, oh yeah, they, they ain't playing. Yeah. Um, oh, and you know, they didn't even mean anything by it. But it was, it was like one of those things where next time we talked about a contract, I said, "Listen, make sure it's in the contract. They can't touch it. Please, there's no touching." And, and me and Gene would always would always you know talk yeah. about that too. No, don't, don't don't touch me. Yeah. And that was yeah. that was a. That was real, man. That was like, you know, because these guys were in character. And, yeah. you know, things would get carried away. But it's like, eh, 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 no, don't touch me, man. Yeah, I got to work in the morning. Exactly. I got to yeah. go back to my room with no door. All right, Garrett Hernandez wants to uh, know what you thought of uh, Stephanie Wyand. And uh, if you preferred having her as a co-host of Mania or Flying Solo. <sighs> You know, that's one of those questions <laughs> where it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, it, it, that, that came out of nowhere. I, I, I never understood it. Um, she was a nice person. Um, I, I think she knew less than I did, which was really scary um, to have two people who knew really not much. But I had been there a little while by that time. And where did she come from? I'll be honest. Yeah, I don't know. All I know is she was in a box. Yeah, I, I've yeah, I remember you the unveiling. And you know who did a great job in that bit was George. 
George was great in that. George bit. was awesome. George was always <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. George was the go-to man. Love George. He, he would. He was great. And when he would scream, like he yeah. said, "Yeah, yeah." You know, um, <laughs> great he was, foil. He was the best. He was. He was really good. Anyway, so I'm going to save you from that one. You don't have to uh, bury her or anything. We're just going to move on <laughs> to the last one here. And uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. My Okay, Brian Santoro says, my question for Todd, and Todd, this is the last one. You've been very patient. Uh, is what are his fondest memories backstage on or off screen of his first WrestleMania 9? So I guess we go back to the beginning to wrap it up. That was the, you know, the whole toga experience. And, but also seeing I'm the way they put to... on an event too, right? I mean, it just, uh, that was really like, you must've been like, whoa. It was mind boggling because yeah. it was a Super Bowl, you know, and, yeah. and they did it constantly and it was flawless. And I, I think the, the spectacle of doing a live sporting event, you, you don't really understand unless you're behind the scenes, you can imagine what's going on. But until you see it and you're part of it, and you know at these things, you're, you're playing a small part, right? So you just have to be ready. Um, one of the things that I did at that very first event, and I, it stuck with me, and it was, it was, I think if you ask anybody who worked with me will tell you, I never came out of character when the camera was off me for a good 20 seconds because, as you know, you'd get a count. Sometimes Kevin would be in your ear, Kevin Dunn, and he'd say, all right, we're going to the package in, uh, you know, minute 30. No, I'm sorry, yeah. it's 10 seconds. Yeah, yeah so right. Then yeah, you'd yeah. have to ramp up the package, and then he'd count down, three, two, hang on, we got another 45. <laughs> so I was always terrified yeah. that if they went to me, yeah. I wouldn't yeah. be ready or in character. So right. I would stay, you know, until the light went off and the camera moved. I just stay looking at the camera like an idiot, just frozen. But I said, they're not catching me, man. I'm just staying here. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to move. And, and that was really a thing that I started at the first WrestleMania and just always stayed yeah. with it because it, it used to bother me when you'd watch TV and you'd see them break. Right. Because that yeah. was like, you don't, you don't do that. You know, you're, that's behind the curtain, right? You, you stay on while you're on. Yeah. Um, so that was that was pretty much you know how it went for me oh i did the same thing i, I you learn i learned yeah. a lesson early on with that okay oh and one, one more thing here that and it's a quickie were the japanese photogs at wrestlemania 9 plants were they <laughs> 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 you know i have no idea <laughs> they were good <laughs> they were really Their good plants are really good oh man <laughs> Todd, this has been uh, an absolute pleasure, man. I, I'm glad that it only took, uh, what was this, uh, 30 years in the making. But uh, <laughs> yeah. but really, I'm glad we got a chance to get up. And I, you know, and I, and my, one of my regrets is that we didn't work together longer, because I think you and I would have had some, uh, a lot of fun. We, uh, I really think so. Oh, I agree. And, and listen, congratulations on all your success. You're still doing it every day, man. You're, you're, uh, you're knocking it out of the park and. You're a big television star, man. I, I'm. Uh, oh yeah, I can and, say I know you. Uh, yeah, uh, <clears throat> yeah. If you're ever in Tucson, yeah, you when you're in, uh, you're up early, uh, you, you can catch me. But, uh, but really, Todd, <laughs> and, and uh, I hope we, you know, maybe we can do a bit someday with uh, the WWE. I did one with Peter Rosenberg where we were in the warehouse and we had a blast. And I, 
I, I'm actually I'm going to pitch this to Chambers. I'm going to tell him you got it. You bring Todd back and bring and we get we'll get and, and we'll you know is it everything from like everything from the past in the warehouse? How much fun would we have? Yep. Okay. Oh, I, are you kidding? I'm doing man? it. I'm doing That'd it. That'd be awesome. All right. Well, thank when you I so went much back to do those those yeah. in your house videos. It was yeah. like old home week. So yeah. to put you and I in a warehouse, we'd have a blast, man. Oh, I'm I'm doing it. Yeah, because uh, it's the same thing. I I went back and I've done a, a few things there. I did uh, a, a Macho Man and a couple other things, and it, it really it, it is just like you were there yesterday. I mean, and they still have a lot of the same people working there. Saw George, you know, and uh, Jill was still there. She's still doing it. So anyway. Yep. And ladies and gentlemen, that was Todd Pettengill and his uh, his Q and A. Uh, you know, and uh, what a career that guy uh, has had. Uh, you guys, uh, you know, may maybe not live in the the East Coast area, but you know, um, he's just uh, a really talented guy. He does all these impressions, and obviously, he wouldn't have stayed on the radio for as long as he had, and has been and has been as successfully as. And he has his own production company, and uh, you know, uh, but got a lot of television experience from his time during the WWF and WWE. Uh, and, uh, you know, is very grateful for that opportunity that uh, Vince McMahon gave him. And, uh, you know, I, I look back, you know, at the, uh, he did that one uh, slammies where he did that, uh, that uh, one bit where he, uh, you know, goes through and, and, and performs this entire number, naming all these different wrestlers. And it was kind of a playoff of what, Billy Crystal had done at the uh, Oscars and just really just amazing that uh, you know, that he wrote the whole thing because he was very good. That was one of the reasons that got him the job in the first place in television. They would write these parodies and would uh, often do that uh, for his radio show. Well, he was able to take those talents into the WWF. And uh, as you listen to, uh, you know, some of the more insight that he gave us, it's uh, uh, just uh, just incredible, uh, just an incredible career. And, uh, you know, I think he's, uh, you know, going to, I don't know how much longer he's going to stay on the air, but man, do you think about all the decades that he's uh, been out there and, and, and was a big contributor. I think he, uh, you know, during that time with the WWF, he, he played a big role. And I think that, uh, you know, a lot of people really enjoyed, uh, how talented that Todd Pettengill uh, is and, uh, you know, and rolling on the airwaves. So I hope you uh, enjoyed that, uh, that uh, extra Q&A there that uh, we included here with Todd Pettengill, who was, uh, you know, one of the uh, other announcers to come along. And I know we've got, we had bunches, a bunch of guests. We probably, there were others that you would have liked to see us include in the, uh, the Q&A uh, special session of this uh, edition of uh, Primetime with Sean Mooney. But I think you would agree that uh, these were uh, great choices too. And uh, maybe mid-year we can do this where we can, uh, you know, include this. But of course, uh, folks with the Patreon get uh, get to hear all these uh, uh, Q&As uh, first. And we'd love to have you join us on Patreon if you would uh, like to be a member. Uh, it's very easy to do. You just go to patreon.com slash primetimemooney, patreon.com slash primetimemooney. And uh, for just four ninety nine, you you can get all the episodes uh, and all the content we put out for uh, early and ad-free. And, of course, you know, we've got uh, Monday we do the Network Classics that we put out where we take uh, one of the shows from the WWE Network that they have up, some of the vintage shows that they have, you know, Superstars of Wrestling or 
WWF superstars, you know, because they had to change that, remember? But, um, and, and also uh, we've done, uh, you know, Tuesday Night Titans and that, uh, and, and some of the other shows. Anyway, that we have the Network Classics on Monday, and then, of course, original episodes every Wednesday of Primetime with Sean Mooney. And then we uh, bring an episode out of the vault every Saturday, and they all drop at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. Um, really, it's it's been a, a phenomenal year, folks, and I, I really want to thank all of you for listening as we begin another one, 2020. But, um, you know, I hope you'll bear with me here because uh, I do uh, want to uh, thank uh, the, the people that have been a part of it. And I'm going to zip through this, but I do want to mention their names that uh, they they have, uh, you know, been so loyal to us and have been with us from the beginning and uh, have gone uh, even further in their support to become Patreon members. So uh, I want to thank Aiden Yastro, Fraser Kemp, Chris uh, Ivarone, David Lackey, Brian Santoro, Chris Marsh, Mario Ballantyne. Uh, they are our Legion of Who members with the uh, Patreon uh, membership. Then also the Moonies, uh, Jared England, Matt Miller, Ernest Diaz, Andy Toth. Uh, Roland is out there. David Pierce, Scott Barnhill, Dan Fisher, TJ Stevens, Brian Florio, Michael Gonzalez, Sean Daniels, Matt Lees, and, and uh, AJ Ganella. And uh, so many others, so many others out there uh, that have uh, joined up. Our prime timers uh, uh, have been with us from the very beginning. And uh, really, I want to thank all of you. And of course, our, uh, our superstars who have remained with us all this time. But uh, you guys are the ones that make it happen. I mean, really, uh, the reason that we're able to do this uh, every single week and be able to add all this content. And uh, I hope you'll continue to listen because uh, we've got a lot ahead in, in 2020. Uh, we've got some announcements coming up in, in, the, in the coming weeks, and so stay tuned. But uh, really, I, I want to thank all of you and uh, love to hear from you. You can uh, email me uh, at uh, primetimemooney at gmail.com. That's uh, primetimemooney at gmail.com. Also, um, you guys can uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. That's at primetimemooney. So uh, that would be fantastic. Um, and also, you know, uh, we are going to be doing, um, we're going to be doing some special sessions that we're going to put out these podcasts because I've interviewed a lot of the guys from the NWA, uh, Nick Aldis and Eli Drake and Aaron Stevens. And uh, we're going to be putting these uh, episodes up. So stay tuned for that. That's one of the announcements I want to make. I've been uh, following the uh, the new NWA, the uh, Power episodes that they have, which, uh, you know, it's been kind of exciting to watch that because it's a real throwback, but also they've got this new edge to it uh, as their, uh, their audience continues to grow. So I will be uh, telling you a lot more about that. And, and as I said, uh, other great announcements. And as soon as we've uh, got the details on that, I will, of course, uh, release them to you. But uh, in the meantime, again, uh, thank you. Thank you all for being a part of Prime Time with Sean Mooney as we uh, look ahead. And I hope everybody has had a, a, a great uh, holiday season. I hope that you had a, a really awesome time with your family and friends. And I wish you dearly uh, a prosperous 2020 as, uh, as we move ahead into this brand new year. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Sean Mooney, and I am out.